Hiya folks, Scott Gardner here. This episode of Star Wars Monthly Monday was recorded mere hours before the stunning announcement that broke the internet in half last Tuesday that the Walt Disney Company is purchasing Lucasfilm and they're intent on producing new Star Wars films. Remarkably though, Chris Honeywell and I Well, we had a discussion during this episode about George Lucas, and now that discussion seems remarkably prescient. Anyway, to hear our reaction to the Disney bio announcement, seek out our special News Flash episode that was released Halloween morning entitled Nerd Heads Explode. And now, Star Wars, Monthly Monday, number 45. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Ladies, this is Billy D. Williams, welcoming you to Star Wars Monthly Monday, Cult 45. <laughs> I'm not really Billy D. Williams. I know it's uncanny the way I do his voice, but I'm Chris Honeywell. Yeah, no, it, that was really me. It wasn't some special effect. By uncanny, this, if you mean shit, then yes, you're dead on. But this is Star Wars Monthly Monday 45, so... <laughs> And and those chuckles you hear in the background are emanating from the entity known as Scott Gardner. (laughs) The entity known as... I like that. I like that. You like that? The entity uh, previously known as Scott Gardner. (laughs) Yes, I like that. How's it going, man? God, it feels like we haven't talked in forever. And I know to the listeners, it's like, what are they talking about? It was just last week. But it's been like, what, like a couple of weeks? Well, you've been a busy... You've been a busy little beaver. You've You've had like actual like real life stuff to do but it's not like real life yeah but it hasn't been yeah but it doesn't it was like your anniversary going yeah well an anniversary with your wife and spending time at disney world and stuff like that so it wasn't like you know the usual scott gardner life has caught up with him and you know the 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 storm is brewing but still it takes up your time. It does, but it was awesome. I mean, uh, can you believe it, man? Uh, that that, that uh, you know, it's a miracle I ever got married in the first place. But you know, to <laughs> yeah. find such a peach, I mean, you know, that eighteen years, eighteen years of putting up with my oh bullshit. my god, I mean, it, that's that's amazing. It really is. But uh, no, it was awesome. We uh, 
we uh, took some time. We uh, went to Walt Disney World. We actually stayed on property. We stayed at the uh, Coronado Springs Resort. Gorgeous, gorgeous resort. And it was just, it was so nice. It was just the two of us. We got away and, uh, and just enjoyed our, our anniversary. Just the two of us. It was nice. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, back and ready to talk some Star Wars. Tanned and rested. That's it. That's it exactly. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, because the, the first day we were there, we did nothing. We checked in. We got our stuff put in the room. and we Isn't went it to amazing how hard it is to, to do nothing? It is for me. So. It really is for me. I because think it is for, me, for almost everybody. I mean, we, uh, we went... This was this past summer. We went for a day to um, uh, Cocoa Beach. Or no, I'm sorry. It was it wasn't Cocoa Beach. It was um, Daytona Beach. We went to Daytona, and just the production to get there is a comedy story in itself. We finally get there. We finally got our own little stretch of beach and everything. We're there like 15 minutes, and I'm bugging out of my mind. I'm like, oh my god, I didn't bring a book. I didn't bring anything to do. What what the hell am I supposed to do with myself? So I'm like you know, a, a cat and a you know long tailed cat in a in a room full of rockers, you know, and it's like. And she's finally like snaps at me. She's like, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm like, I'm bored. What can we do? And she's like, what do you mean bored? We just got here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But I mean, it's like, what can I do? And she's like, you sit your ass in a beach chair and that's what you do. <laughs> you know? But I'm like, I'm not good at that. You know what I mean? I mean, as, as lazy a creature as I am at the same rate, I'm like fidgety. I'm, oh, I, you know, if I'm not being entertained, I'm going to drive you crazy. You know stimulated. I mean? Yeah, you stimulated. need to be stimulated a, yeah, some exactly. way. Exactly. That's the right, the absolutely correct word. So I, you know, I would have been fine sitting on that beach if I'd had like. And a- I'm sure. And I'm sure, like Scott Gardner in a hotel room with his wife, like your idea of getting stimulated is not <laughs> sitting out in a in a lawn chair, right? You know. Oh, <laughs> another another testament to your wife's long suffering life of you, <laughs> the human octopus. <laughs> but uh it was awesome it was uh it was a really good time but i'm glad to be back and uh i am really 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 looking forward to this episode as, as i mentioned to you just before we got started uh, you know it's been a long day my day started ridiculously early today i'm running on just a few hours of sleep but I'm hoping that uh, that all this sugar and just my pure enthusiasm for for this episode and what we're going to be covering will uh, will carry us through. Because I tell you, you remember that episode we did Star Wars Monthly Monday? This was probably I don't know two, three Star Wars Monthly Mondays ago, where like all three comics, <clears throat> excuse me, where all three comics that we covered, we covered two issues of Star Wars and an issue of Indiana Jones, and all three of them there were um, how do I want to put this? Shit. You remember that one? I mean, not really shit. Oh, kind of yeah. sucked. You, you remember? Kind of sucked, yes. Yeah. This is like the complete polar opposite of that. Complete. Because these issues, I don't know about you, but I think all three. We'll, we'll see if we have anything to say about it. Because when they're good yeah. issues, that's when we usually have a little less to say than when they're this is, this fucking is true. horrible. I went, I went all out on these ones because, uh, well, 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 we'll get into that in a moment. But, um. I had a couple things for a preamble before we get into the issues proper. Did, did you have anything? Hang on. I'm across the room getting what I, I just remembered. I have something. Okay. Pull it over well, with while you're doing that, just real quick, I want to mention uh, something that was uh, mentioned on the forum. Um, 
I believe it was Luke Giaconetti that posted it up on the forum that there is a Marvel Star Wars calendar out. Yes. Teen, I've got to own this. I have got to own this. Uh, I just messaged him tonight, so I'll give you an idea when we're recording this episode. I just put a, uh, responded on the forum tonight asking uh, for more details. Specifically, I, I'd love to know what the price is on that. I went to my local Walmart, and uh, they didn't have it there. So I'm hoping that maybe the one up in Sanford, if I get a chance to run up there anytime soon, might have it. But I'm just curious what the price is because my wife had a good point when I asked her the other day to, if she was going to stop at Walmart on the way home, and I you know, was asking her if she'd check on this for me. She's like, well, I'm not going to buy a calendar now because, you know, they're like, you know, you can buy them for pennies after the first of the year, which was a good point, but I don't want to run the risk of not being able to find it after the first either. You know what I mean? When they start shipping them back or turning them into toilet paper or whatever the hell they do with calendars eBay. after the first of the year. But, yeah, I want one badly, really, really badly. So um, what you got? Well, it's funny the the drummer in my band, um, and this can be found online. It's on, this article is online too, and I posted it on. You'll probably know what I'm talking about if you've been on the Facebook page. And I posted it on the Facebook page the other day as a sort of like, almost like a troll. There's almost a troll aspect of it because of the title. Um. Of the of it's not the t- title of the article, but it was the title over the post. And my drummer saw this, and it's a very scholarly article by uh, Camille Paglia. And I don't know if you've ever heard of. Remember when back in 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 college when you were studying when you were studying women's studies? Oh, that's right. Well, anyway, Camille Paglia <laughs> in the early nineties was a was a feminist writer. And she was, there was another feminist writer named Andrea Dworkin, and they both sort of got into the news because they would get into it because Camille Paglia was very much like, I think men are okay, and I have no problem with pornography. In fact, I think it's something good where Andrea Dworkin was all like, all pornography is, you know, abusive towards women. And should be outlawed, and is he, and that's sort of how she became a household name in intelligentsia, you know, cultural studies stuff. And she writes for this, you know, uh, scholarly arts journal called the Chronicle Review of Higher Education. And uh, on October fifteenth, she put out an article called "George Lucas's Force," and uh, the 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 heading that, like, if you post the the link. Onto Facebook says, you know, why George Lucas is the greatest artist of our time. And uh, it is exactly that, a, a scholarly, it's probably about six, seven pages long argument as to why George Lucas is the most, is the greatest artist of the modern era. I saw you when you posted that up on Facebook the other day. And uh, and I clicked on it, and I realized that it was it was a longer article than I had time to read at that moment. And I'm glad it's you're mentioning this. It's one you have to really pay attention yeah, to. Yeah. As I'm editing this show later, then uh, that'll remind me that I need to go and and read it because I I meant to read it, and then uh, like I said, I didn't have time at the time. And then I ended up forgetting about it. So I'm glad you're mentioning this because I really did want to read that article. The comments after the article are even are as as interesting. 
because it's got that internet, you know, comment section on it, but it's right. crossed between nerddom and higher education, you know, anthropological studies people. Right. We're all like, you're just you're just trying to cause controversy, P- Camille Paglia, saying George Lucas is the greatest artist in the world. You're just trying to get publicity. When in fact they're you know being totally snobbish and being like that can't you know uh, uh, it has to be fine art but right but she argues it from a pop art perspective and she gives I mean I think she gives a pretty airtight it, she it, at some points like when she's describing the um the prequels in this really flat you know and the the most epic she really goes over the 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 fight at the end of episode three and how epic it is and you know the brutal battle between them and the the culmination of everything where she gets a little you know a little flowery about it but you know i what i guess and and people were commenting it on it in facebook saying you know well i think spielberg's better than lucas and yeah he's a better filmmaker but that's not what she's arguing she's saying as an artist Right. And the things the things that artists, you know, some art, you know, when people who do art, they're doing it for all different reasons, you know, a, a variety of different reasons. But, you know, you can get a list of reasons and then pick from those what particular artists are. And like one is you have something that you want people to see or, you know, you have something that you want to say that you want to share with people. Check. He got that. Um, some people want to make money. He got that. Some people want to take the medium they're working with and advance it. He did that. Um, he he not only advanced it, but he's been ahead of the curve the whole time. Um, he's built his own world, you know, sort of. Um, there's just, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few of them too, but, n- the, you know, if, if any artist in the world gets one of those things they're usually really happy he's not only gotten all of those things but like big time so it's almost not an argument over the quality of the movies as it is over the success of it you know going into the modern culture which that's undeniable i mean every new you know every every time a new little kid is born you got a probably about what, like I'd say, a forty-five percent chance that they're going to be a Star Wars fan by the time that they're talking and watching TV or right or, or stuff like that. That they're going to see Star Wars and go, "Wow!" And she sort of goes over, you know, what the elements she thinks are in Star Wars that that make people. Um, she goes a lot into the psychology of George Lucas too. Which is which is really interesting. It's a great article. I highly highly recommend it. There's a you can either you could um, you can um, search for Camille Paglia, you know George Lucas, greatest artist of our time, and it'll come up on Google in a second. Or you can just go to our Facebook page. I need to read down. that. I really need to read that because not only have I uh, really really grown just completely intolerant with George Lucas bashing, but at the same rate, you know, the, the people that really uh, well, appreciate it, it, him and, and, and sh- you know, not so much sing his praises, but just show that, that love and appreciation 
I have appreciation for those people because to me they get it. You know, it's like at this point it's it's pretty much inconsequential to me what you think of the prequel trilogy, love it, hate it, whatever. Because I'm you know I have my own problems with it, but it's more about look, you know, look, look what this guy has given us. You know, look what he's presented us with. You know, how how can you dog on him? How can you be so you know whatever about him? So uh, it's uh, the dogging on it is uh, is almost a testament to its success and. And I, and even even with this whole premise of him as the greatest artist of all time and, and the appreciation for him, that doesn't mean that you can't, uh, you, you, you know, I mean, you could go and say all those prequel movies are shit and still subscribe to the right. theory that he's the greatest artist. Now, is she time. saying all time or of, of modern so, times? Of modern times. Okay, of yeah, modern times. Uh, all time I would argue with, but... but she was saying, times, well, she was yeah. saying in the old days it was different because... It wasn't really as much a pop cultural thing. It was a fine artist thing. It was right. musicians and and poets and painters and stuff like that. But now that we've reached the modern age, you know, it's become almost it sort of was becoming more experimental people. Right. But uh cuz all time to me, you know, uh, you know, Lucas is no Walt Disney. But at the same rate, I would I would will, be willing, you know, perfectly willing to put him Ooh, as, a, as a contender of, of the modern Walt Disney. You know what I mean? Oh, I didn't, I didn't I even think that? of that. You know, nobody brought that up in the comments section of her. They all wanted to fight Star Wars, but I'm surprised nobody mentioned Walt Disney because, man, yeah, you could make it. You could make a just an argument on all the same levels that I that we just made with George Lucas, right? With, with Walt Disney for sure. Yeah, that's the first thing when you were when you were ticking off that list. That was the first thing I thought was well. Yeah, Walt check, 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 Walt check, yeah, check. Exactly. So you know, check, I mean, check, every check. once it's in a while, I, I stuff with the space. Oh yes, yeah. you know, with our yeah. But you know, every once in a while, I, I'll hear that posed. You know, different places, usually Disney forums or something. But I'll hear that posed. Who do you think is the is the present day Walt Disney? And you know, I've given a lot of thought to that over the years, and and my my answers usually vacillate between Steven Spielberg and Stan Lee. But you know, George Lucas is a hell of a contender for that. It's just I don't think it, he has. Uh, he's not the shameless self promoter that somebody like Stan no. Lee is, or even Walt Disney during during his no, life. A, he, Walt was was a pretty shameless huckster. You know what I mean? So. He was a marketer. Well, well, right. it's not that 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 he's not savvy about marketing. I think he has. I think he has different. I think he has his whole. I think his idea of his Lucas world that he built is is from a different. It's from a left wing hippie perspective. You know, from California in the '60s when he was you know coming up in filmmaking. So. It's it's not on the huge scale of Disney, you know. He does, right. uh, but but Lucasfilm and Lucas Ranch are nothing to sneeze at, you know. He's built. It was just his empire that he wanted for his life seems to be less ostentatious, right? Than, than Disney's. His his Lucas's Disneyland is a hundred percent on the screen. Where, where, you know, it's like, I don't think he's about to build, I think he's just as happy to let Disney do any theme park type right. stuff associated with it. So, but, you know, I mean, I guess scale doesn't have to be a measurement of success because 
it, it, measurement of success is sort of what you shot out for. And I think George Lucas pretty much with a lot of like over the years, what he would say that he wanted to do in the future, he's pretty much done. It's pretty much come to happen. Even the, the prequels, which, right. you know, honestly, I know, and I'm sure you and you too, we're, I wasn't expecting more Star Wars films in that interim, really. You know, in that time period, I didn't expect him to make any more movies. I thought it was done, that he, it was just empty talk. So... Huh. I'm, def- I'm yeah. going to actually go onto that page and, and like ask her, what about Walt Disney and see what happens. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, we did actually get someone to, uh, to answer my desperate plea from last month for, uh, for feedback, for email feedback. And, uh, I really appreciate that. This is, uh, from, you know, how did we decide that that this was pronounced? Is it Kreitz or Kreides? Jonathan, I think it's Kreitz, but something's nagging me in the back of my mind saying that it might be Kreides. I forget. I, I think, think he wanted us to pr- pronounce it critters. <laughs> Jonathan sent us in another pronunciation guide. I think he's already done this before. I think he sent us in a pronunciation guide before, but I'm a forget- forgetful kind of guy. Well, I can't so remember I if we were... I, th- I, I, I think... It wasn't Crites because that was because that was. I think he told us it was not like Frakies because oh, okay. <laughs> okay. we were mis- pronouncing so, it like you would pronounce Jonathan Frakies. I gotcha. So it's Kreitz. So I think Jonathan it's Kreitz. Okay. So this one's entitled Star Wars Monthly Monday Number Forty Four. So this is a nice fresh one because that was just last month's episodes. It says, "Hey freaks." So I like to post my thoughts on new episodes on the forum, but since you asked for email, I'm going to start writing in. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And uh, and you are the first. He says, I uh, really enjoyed hearing Scott's review of the Death Star novel. That is one of the two or three EU novels that I haven't actually read, and uh, your review makes me want to make it a priority. It came out at a time when I was very busy, plus the subject matter wasn't very interesting. Now that I've read Reeves' other works, I'm definitely going to have to give it a try. It sounds similar to James Lucino's novel Millennium Falcon, which is set much later in the EU timeline. I have that book. I actually bought it when it came out in paperback, and, uh, of course, I haven't made it to it yet. But uh, that's another one that I'm dying to read because it's supposed to be basically like the life history of the Millennium Falcon, which just – that sounds interesting. I don't know how exactly you can pull a cohesive novel out of that, but I'm curious to find out. I've really enjoyed uh, – Lucino's uh, Star Wars novel so far, so I'm curious to read that one myself. Jonathan continues, he says, I think uh, it was a mistake, or excuse me, I don't think, rather, it was a mistake to skip the uh, Force Unleashed novels. They are secondary in my take on the EU anyways. He says, there was actually an EU novel announcement today that piqued my interest. John Jackson Miller is writing a post-Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan novel. He says the teaser art is awesome, and he supplied a link here that uh, I, I, I can't really read it out on the air just because it's one of those with like a bunch of dashes and this, that, and the other thing. But uh, I'm sure if you Google this, you'll be able to find it. Uh, part of the link here says my new hardcover for 2012 Star Wars. Um, but I clicked on the link, and it is a really cool picture. It's basically just, you know, it's Obi-Wan standing on tattooing. I think the name of the novel is, at least the working title, is just simply Star Wars Obi-Wan or something to that effect. But 
it does look really interesting and it looks like uh it's going to fill in that missing chapter of you know the 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 transition from you know obi-wan jedi master to you know simple old you know wizard crazy wizard ben kenobi living out in the in the you know, in the waste of... Yeah, exactly. I, I'm looking forward to that because that's a story I want more of. I want to know, yeah. is there any significance to Ben? You know, is that like his his given name? You know what I mean? Something, Or is it just a, a name he adopted? What's the story there? I'd really like to know that. So I, I'm intrigued. And uh, John Jackson Miller, um, if he's the guy I think he is, I, I've uh, enjoyed uh, the comics of his that I've read. Uh, he wraps up by saying, good work on the ongoing coverage of the old Marvel, Star Wars, and indie stuff. Looking forward to what comes next. He says, P.S. Honeywell needs to think up a way to internet market his garage sailing adventures. Maybe a YouTube channel. And hey, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea at all. It's more work, but I'm thinking... I I had a sort of idea, and, and I got the idea too late in the in the season to do it this year. But... I'm thinking of doing a podcast, just a weekly podcast where I go over what I got at garage sales, how much I paid for it. I and think so. as it goes on, I'll go, this is how much I got for it on eBay. And it'll give me an opportunity to talk about different toys and stuff that I get and their history and, See, and it, how you figure out what it's worth or what it is in the first place. There's a, I have a lot of stories of just figuring out what something is. <laughs> right. See, I know it would be a lot of work, but I like his idea of some sort of like YouTube channel because I could see something on the on the scope of like say like the uh, the angry video game nerd or something like that about about your garage sale adventures. I think that'd be really cool, but again, we don't need any more work on our plate at this point. Just getting yeah. the shows out is enough of a challenge here lately. Um that was it for emails. So we got the one from Jonathan, but uh, he he's hopefully kickstarted the thing. So I want to see that continue forward. But that's not it for mail. We actually got I actually got some mail this month that I am really really excited about. This is from uh, our buddy across the pond, Andrew Leyland and family, and uh, he sent me a letter here, and it says, "Hello, Clan Gardener." He says. Hope you all are doing uh, fine in the land of sun whilst it has pissed down for... F- While well, here, he says, it has pissed down for four days straight. He says, but I'm not bitter. It's jolly good. <laughs> he says, Scott, I have to say I was bitterly disappointed that you didn't wear your pink t-shirt to Star so, Wars wait, 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 wait. <laughs> First thing he says is he's not bitter, and then in the next breath, he's, <laughs> he's bitter. Make up your mind, Andrew Leyland. <laughs> He says you would have looked very fetching, and I'm sure it's a look you could have pulled off. (laughs) Uh, He said, anyway, here's a bunch of comics from the Sceptered Isle for your collection. He says, hope you dig them. If there are any doubles, pass them on to Chris. Yeah, well, fuck you, man. (laughs) Thank you, but fuck you. Have a got any dregs? Give them to Honeywell. He'll <laughs> lap up the he'll lap up the leftovers. <laughs> Have a good Christmas. I know it's early, but I didn't want uh, didn't want to wait to post them. And we send our love. And this is from Andy and his family, uh, Angela, Mike, Adam, and Anya. And uh, dude, 
Oh my god, this was awesome. I got Star Wars. Um and you know they're at this point they're just called any Star doubles? Wars. There's no there are not any doubles, unfortunately. Yeah, thanks, Andrew Leland. <laughs> well, fortunately for me, not so much fortunately for you. <laughs> but uh, at this point, it wasn't called, uh, apparently it wasn't called Star Wars Weekly anymore. It was just called Star Wars. But these are more issues of Star Wars UK and just freaking awesome. Got a 161, has this gorgeous cover on it. It's it's somewhat photo reference. There's, there's definitely a lot of uh, Empire Strikes Back elements to it. But the story inside is actually Screams in the Void, which was the uh, which was the story. Let me see if this wraps up in the same place where the uh, where the American story. I bet you it doesn't. I'm, but I'm looking here to find out. It does actually. This is the story that ends where Luke has shot down an Imperial pilot that the Force told him to take out only to find out later that it was Shira Bry. And it ends saying, next issue, Pariah. The backup feature in here is actually the issue of Rom Space Knight that guest starred uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. This is, again, this is in that oversized format, and it's gorgeous black and white. It's really, really nice. I love this. Next issue is the following issue. It's uh, 162... Luke Skywalker, Pariah. It's that classic Simonson cover, the red-faced Luke Skywalker. It's awesome. Much larger format. And at this point, they're actually reprinting entire issues in here. They're not breaking up the issues anymore because this one is the one that ends with Darth Vader coming out of the light. Luke Skywalker, I have come for you. It's awesome. And again, this is black and white, oversized format. (laughs) Holy shit, is it gorgeous, dude. It is so awesome. Backup feature. Oh, it's I'm the, sure it is. The backup sure feature is. is part two of the uh, ROM and uh, Power Man and Iron Fist story. There's actually a... Uh, I just noticed this. There's actually a, another second backup story in here. I Saw a Martian by Stan Lee and <laughs> Steve Ditko. This is... This is from way on back. I bet you this is from like Amazing Adult Fantasy or something mm-hmm. like that. It's way on back. Really nice stuff. Let's see. Star Wars 163, Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker in Mind Spider. See, these are right in that uh, Simonson, Palmer, Michelini era. Really nice stuff. What's the backup feature in here? Is it more ROM? It is. It's more ROM. ROM's going home in this one. This is actually slightly ahead of where I am in my ROM read-through of the of the series right now, so I don't want to look at it too much because I don't want to get spoiled on where the story's going. Misha uh, going home! <laughs> Star Wars 168. This one is... Ooh! This is the f- introduction of Fen Shisa's story! Oh my god. This is gorgeous. And... Alright, when we... When I got these before, I'm trying to remember when we covered, um, we did our coverage of Further Adventures of Indiana Jones number one and two. I remember talking about where the British reprints split the story up. I think this is the next chapter after number one because this picks up where 
Indy and uh, and Edith have, are actually uh, approaching the beach to go out on the beach for uh, Solomon Uh-oh. Black. And what's neat about this is they didn't they not only did they divide the issues up weirdly, but this one here where the the American number one ends, this one doesn't end. It actually goes right into the first few pages of issue two of the American one. And it actually ends, let's see, what's the last page here? This actually ends where Indy takes the gun and starts shooting at the natives. That's where it ends. It says to be continued. So it, it they broke it up in, in completely different places. Weird. You know, in completely different chapters, but again, at, uh, Burn Indiana Jones are in oversized white. Oh yeah! Holy shit, is it awesome? It's gorgeous, man. But I'm so jealous. I've been watching you and Scott Rife on just like oh yes, piling up on these things. Oh yeah, he's he had he I, I, he put up a post like I got 52 more of them coming, like a full year's worth, basically. Yeah, I was I was like. All right, <laughs> now I'm starting to hate you because you're getting all these great issues, kind of thing. But no, he's been getting some fantastic deals on that stuff, and I was so jealous until I got this uh, this bundle in the in the mail from Andy. But the best part of this, it, it's uh, I, I can't wait to read this, but I'm holding it in reserve because we are going to cover this at some point. Is uh, he sent me? Uh, Star Wars. This is when it was Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back weekly. This is issue number right, right. one forty-nine. This is the Death Mask issue. This is the only Star Wars comic from Marvel that's never been printed in the U.S. So now, with this in hand, I have every single Star Wars story that Marvel Comics ever published, and I've actually never read this story. I've been holding it in reserve all these years. You know, I mean, I didn't have it. You're going to have to scan that for me. But, uh, yeah, I will send you a scan. We were, we will most definitely be covering this at some point in the future because uh, I'm really anxious to read it. I've had a digital copy of it for a long, long time. But I just, I, I could never bring myself to read it's it. It's not because, the same yet. Well, and not only is it not the same, but, you know, it's just that, you know, once I once I read it, that's it. You know, I, I've read everything. You know what I mean? So I've been holding on to it all this time. And just flipping through it, it looks like some wacky stuff. But I'm just excited. <laughs> it's it's something that, you know, something Marvel Star Wars I've never read before. But it, yeah, it looks like it's going to be crazy on the level of, like, you know, Alan Moore and, and Darth Vader, right. play, you know, playing chess with a squid or whatever the hell that story was. As a matter of fact, I'm wondering if this might be an Alan Moore story for that matter. I, I honestly don't know. I don't, I can't find any credits in here, so there's every possibility. Backup feature in here is... Did Michael uh, Leyland like, scratch out the pages because it was an Alan Moore story or something? That's why he sent it <laughs> Ripped them all out. <laughs> he tore out the credits page. Back up in here, Star Lord, and uh, who is that dude that was always fighting the Martians? Um, Martian Manhunter? No, no, he was a Martian. Oh, Kill Raven, Kill Raven. Which uh, you know, I've had those comics before when I bought like collections and stuff, and I couldn't get rid of them fast enough. 
But then I was reading an article in uh, in Back Issue not long ago talking about that series, and now I'm actually really curious to check it out because it looks goofy, but at the same rate, the story sounded exciting from what uh, from what Back Issue was saying. But then again, they made uh, you know the John Paul uh, the second comic sound exciting too. So yeah, yeah, they're good at that. Oh yeah, that was a <laughs> that, that one was pulse by. pounding. It's a page turner. <laughs> that one was. I remember as a kid reading it going. Well, that wasn't as painful as I thought for a 64-page comic on the Pope, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, Andy, thank you so much, man. That uh, That is awesome. I can't tell you how grateful I am because I have been hunting that issue for the longest time. So, I mean, just that issue alone would have been you know, an absolute thrill and uh, and probably the best uh, Christmas present I'm likely to get this year with the economy the way it is. But also, I mean, to, to throw in these other comics that, you know, I, I'm still just learning and dipping my toe into uh, the whole world of, of Marvel, you know, UK Star Wars comics. Just to get these in, in this format is is a thrill for me. And I'm now seriously addicted. I've got to have the rest of these because they're just great. I mean, beautiful. Most most of them are original covers, and then the material inside, even though it's familiar to me, it's it's presented in such a new way with the oversized format and the black and white and all that. I just I've got to have these. They're just a lot of fun, and the ads are wacky as hell. I was just yeah. That on the that's inside, my favorite part. Yeah, the ads are great. On the inside front cover of that issue one forty nine, it's a it's a Superman. Uh, story you know a superman advertisement i'm like in a marvel <laughs> okay. so that was fun but uh but that's all i've got as far as preamble stuff um did you have anything else no that's all i got i gotta say i you gotta give me just a moment here i, I don't want to get too maudlin about it but uh I, I just have to take a moment to say that you know with this episode and in particular, the two issues that we're about to cover, um, I feel like we've reached a milestone with this show. At least for me, it's a, it's a personal milestone because the, these two issues, in my mind, are the entire reason that Two True Freaks even exists. Because it was these two issues specifically that I have always wanted to talk about right from the moment I first even considered getting into podcasting myself at a time when I was doing nothing but listening to other people's shows and thinking that sounds like fun that that sounds like something I could do or would would enjoy doing and then I got to thinking that you know if you're going to get into the whole podcasting thing I, I still believe firmly in carve yourself a niche try to do something that no one else is is doing or talk about something that no one else is talking about and at that time to the best of my knowledge nobody was talking about you know the marvel star wars stuff and it's always been a series it's it's very near and dear to my heart i mean it was my my gateway drug into the world of comic books was was marvel star wars but in particular these two issues have always stood out to me as as really my absolute favorite issues of the entire series i'm really hoping that uh that i'm bringing my a game tonight because i really want to bring across you know you know how excited i am about it but also to share that with with you guys the listeners because i think these are two fantastic issues so i'm excited i'm 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 hoping that uh my excitement and enthusiasm carries me the rest of the show for this because it's getting late and 
damn, I'm tired, but I'm so psyched for these. You know, literally for over four years now, I couldn't wait for this moment. So, uh, really? Because I thought these two were snoozers. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you actually have the, uh, are you ready to jump into this? Sure. All right. You have the, uh, the first synopsis, sir. Yes, this is Star Wars number 95, with a cover price of 65 centaroonies on mine. I don't know, I might have another... No, that's, that's the my price. My weird ones, is that what the one on? price on mine, too, because I, I had to check that, because when I started to do the synopsis for my issue for 60, uh, or excuse me, for uh, 96, I saw that 65 and thought, ooh, this must be a Canadian copy. But no, by this point, it had gone up to 65. I, I must have missed that at some point when the, the price jump happened because I don't remember commenting on it. This is from May 1985. So just short of, this was like just at the end of Scott's in my junior year of high school. Yeah. Covered by Kent Williams, a nice painted cover. Joe Duffy writer, Cynthia Martin pencils. Steve Lealoha doing the inks, which is awesome. Goes very well with Cynthia Martin. Uh, mm-hmm. Glennis Oliver is the colorist, and Nasenny's the editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor in chief. And this issue, so it was called No Zeltrons. We open right up with uh, Lumaya torturing the last survivor of a rebel outpost. She's trying to find Princess Leia's whereabouts, and. Uh, he knows nothing about Leia, but Lumaya perks up. Am I say? Am I saying it right? She's Lumaya, right? I keep wanting to say Luminaya. See, I've always called her Lumaya, but I remember that at, at the convention that I went to as a kid, and I'll be talking about this a little bit later. But there was a convention that I went to where Joe Duffy and I believe Cynthia Martin was there as well. I think they were both there. And they were talking about this character, and I asked a question, and I called her Lumaya, and they corrected me to something else. And I'm thinking what they corrected me to was uh, Lumia. And I remember her, her saying it's supposed to be like like luminescent. Luminous. Or lumi- yes. You know, something like that. That makes more sense. It, it does, but, you know... You, being a kid and everything, you know, just your original concept often is, is hard yeah. to shake. You know what I mean? So I've always gone back to, to Lumaya. But Lumia actually makes more sense, I think. That's probably how it's supposed to be. (laughs) Well, anyway, he doesn't know where the hell Leia is, but (laughs) Lumia perks up at the mention of Luke Skywalker's name. Meanwhile, Giant Head Admiral Akbar is assigned a crew of Zeltrons to be Leia's assistants uh, when she's going to attend a party put on by some people who are still kind of sketchy with the Rebellion, for whatever reason. So, uh... Luke is sent with Kira and Donnie, who are now look like apparently dating, I guess, to figure out what happened to a rebel outpost that went silent all of a sudden. And I think we know what happened there. They, they go to the world and they find it basically desolate and deserted, and uh, Donnie and Kira decide to, to sort of go for a walk while uh, Luke hangs around by the ship. Oh, jeez. Poor Luke, man. Everybody's getting laid all around him. Um, okay, back to <laughs> back to my synopsis. I just feel bad for the guy, and and his right <laughs> hand is mechanical, so it's just all it's just all wrong. 
even if he masturbates, he's always he when he masturbates, he's always giving himself a stranger. Think about that. Think about that for a minute, kiddies. Meanwhile, the Zeltrons have uh, given Leia the the eighties slutty look by altering her dress. Uh, by basically removing half of it and uh, giving her a, a nifty spiral perm as uh, as she was sleeping. <laughs> when she arrives at the ball, she notices an awkwardness. But it's not her look. It's that the whole party has been kidnapped by Han's old enemy, the brilliantly named Knife, and his pals from a few issues back. And uh, Han, Leia, and the Zeltrons are, are sort of thrown into the clink. So Kira and Danny are attacked by an unknown assailant, and Kiro crawls his way back to Luke with his uh, faceplate all smashed. So Luke dips him in some water and then uh, heads out to find uh, what uh, what happened to Donnie. Meanwhile, uh, Han hatches an escape plan, but the Zeltrons act first, impulsively, and uh, overpowering their captors, they, uh, they free the grateful partygoers, and uh, the rebellion gets one point. So it looks uh, looks like a win for the rebellion. Luke, on the other hand, has found Kiro's attacker Lumia and has uh, basically gotten his ass thoroughly handed to him and is on the ground, apparently either out cold or dead. And that's where the issue ends. Now I gotta ask, what did you think of this one? I think it's a good lead up to the next one. The comedy aspects that have been coming out lately work a lot better in this one. Yes. Prince, and, and who's going to argue over Princess Leia's slutty outfit, you know? And See, I mean, I, the, you think she looks slutty? I think she looks, uh, I mean, well, I'm saying, she looks sexy, I'm, but I, I she think looks she awesome. Ought, yeah, she manages to pull off. Still, well, when I say I say slutty, uh, that's what she's sort of she's sort of like. Oh my god, I'm showing too much skin, and this is right. too ostentatious to me. It's very '80s. It's an '80s. It's a total '80s sort of sl- the, the 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 spiral perm is is '80s all the way. But I love how they they uh, they play up the Zeltrons are the Zeltron guys are these sort of like. You know, they're all wearing, like, a vest and no shirt, Freddie Mercury style, and they're right. all kind of muscle-bound, like, sort of Han Solo-looking guys, you know, leading man type of guys. But they're sort of portrayed as being, like, um, uh, how should I put this, gay men, you know, well, see, or, like, that, like that w- stereotyped, um, like, clothing designers and stuff. Right. They're like, oh, let me do your, and hairdresser, let me do your hair, let me make your dress. Well, that was but a then note at that the I end, had they're here. ass-kickers, you know? right. That was a note that I had put here was that, you know, all my life, but especially when, when we were kids and it was a more, I don't know what you want to say, innocent, not necessarily innocent time, but just, it was a different time. The time might have been, not but, so we might have been more innocent. We were like small right. town kids. Yeah. Exactly. So, but I mean, even, even given that I've, I've always, and, and even to this day, I think I've always had really shitty gaydar. So are these guys, are they supposed to be like Queer Eye for the Jedi? Because that I get that now, whereas I didn't really yes. get that as a kid. You know, I just thought they were supposed to be like a rip on like Duran Duran or something, you know? so Well, yeah, well, well, well yeah, but at the same time, yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, but they're, no, they're definitely, I you know, I just, I mean, I think, I, I, you know, I can't really put, I don't really remember as much exactly what I was thinking when I was reading this, but I was definitely, 
thinking that they're being portrayed as being effeminate. And at that age, um, I've, and I've said this many times before, I don't, I, I prob if somebody said, have you ever seen anybody that was gay? I would have said no, even though I'd seen many people who like either like after they got out of high school, they would turn out to be gay or, or people that turned out, you know, that were gay, obviously gay, but I just didn't know it. And right. Or, or people that even acted obviously gay and, uh, and people would be like, they're gay. I thought it was just like somebody picking or on, yeah. or, or they're just picking on somebody who's kind of effeminate, you know? Right. So that guy's effeminate. So everybody's like, "Oh, smear the queer," you know, or whatever. And but I but uh, but I never would have thought, well, they really might be gay, you know, because I was, it was it was naive, you know, I wasn't exposed to any of it. So I'm sure I wasn't thinking, "Oh, these guys." I didn't know there was a, a stereotype of hairdressers and clothing designers right. being gay <laughs> men, you know. And I didn't know, you know. I mean, I had Queen albums, and I didn't know that. Like one of the signals that you know, one of the clues that you might be gay is that you have a, a sort of you know one of those biker caps and uh, and a vet, a leather vest with no shirt on under it. I just thought it was like a rock star, you know, rock star getup, <laughs> and uh, or or you know or the da- the the male dancers you would see on solid gold i was always like those are the luckiest guys in the world cuz they're <laughs> dancing with these ladies you know <laughs> they get to dance with these hot ass ladies they're probably getting laid all the time and i was right with that but just not in the way that i thought i was right. that they were getting laid you know so but i you know i never put two and two together so i thought the whole gag with this was Oh, look at these guys! Are they're kind of wimpy and effeminate? But when it comes down to it, they're actually you know fast, decisive, kick-ass warriors. You See, know, I like these guys. I always liked them. Oh, right yeah. at the beginning, but now I like them even better because it does give you that twist that they kind of start out as being a pain in the ass, kind, kind of, of a pain annoying, in the ass, kind of effeminate. You know, kind of very typical. Very what what today we would look at this and and think these are very stereotypical, almost like uh, like borderline caricatures. of caricatures of yeah. of gay men. But then what I like is at the end end of the issue, suddenly they're the teenage mutant ninja turtles, and I love that. Yeah, they say they really say cool. they save everybody's ass, you know. Yeah. And and just and just do it like. Without even really, you know, it's like, oh, time to kick ass. And uh, yes, it's a, a lot of the elements that have been awkwardly tried to incorporate in the last couple episodes now are starting to work. Mm-hmm. And this is is starting to it's this the the Cynthia Martin run is starting to reach its 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 stride. You know where where she knows what she wants to do. And they know where they're going and and how they're how they're going to carry it out. So, and this one this one really is kind of just a hint as to what's going to come in the next right issue. This is so you know it's a setup for the next issue. It's obviously a, a cliffhanger for the next issue, but uh, it's it's got uh what is it it's probably like a four page run what what page number oh they're actually numbered yeah they are it's Thank page God. um 17 it starts on page 17 with luke uh um facing off what you know it's just it's a very frank miller where it's broken up into four oblong panels mm-hmm. it's just like luke standing there with a sh- sort of facing a shape 
then it's just his eyes, and then it's just Lumia's eyes, Lumia's eyes, and then they start to square off her with her her light whip and him with his lightsaber, mm-hmm. and very stylized, no background, very Frank Miller, it's very beautiful. Frank Miller Darede- Daredevil, and it, and uh, so then you have the 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 story with the Zeltrons again, but at the bottom of each of those pages. And and the Zeltron story is in a very standard, you know, clean box. But when you get down to the other page, it's Luke getting his ass whipped. You know, one, and it's all you see is Luke, but you see the light whip just sort of getting him. And those are ragged, no background, yeah, very expressionistic frames. Whereas up above it is just sort of traditional comic action. It's the it's the Zeltrons breaking everybody, a uh, sort of comedic breakout scene being counterplayed, which also, you know, now that I'm just thinking of this right now, this is sort of reminds me of the prequels with the parallel action going on. It's funny that you say that because, you know, the, the, the thing that struck me reading this, the parallel that I drew was the Empire Strikes Back because you've got, it's it's a perfect blend of humor and action. Yes, this, yes, this okay. Really this feels is like, like Empire because you've got Endor, but with Luke up in the throne room with with Vader and the Emperor. Well, kind of, but I mean, I was looking at it more of you know like Han and Leia are, are handling kind of the lighthearted stuff with the comedy elements and that. There's action in their stuff, but it's a little more lighthearted. It's a little more fluffier, whereas Luke has the dark A plot. He's fighting the bad guys. So yeah, I guess Jedi works is a really good analogy because this is kind of like what Han and Leia and Chewie and the droids were doing down on Endor in in Jedi while Luke, you know, was facing off against Vader and the Emperor on on the second Death Star. Yeah, it's very much like that. And I think that's why this issue really resonates with me because it feels like star wars this is what star wars is supposed to mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. look and feel like and it's i love it i really love it uh, and um once again i think steve lealoha is a perfect inker oh yes not not trying to not you know not trying to no no longer is a tom palmer um you know, trying to uh, keep it all looking that way anymore, which I, I tell you, you know, I'm a big proponent of that. Mm-hmm. But now with Cynthia Martin doing it, now we've got now it's got a more. He's not trying to make it feel look like the other um, issues. He's trying to make it look like Cynthia Martin's art. He's he's right. It has a, and I don't think having Tom Palmer inker was necessarily. Uh, I think it was more of a transitionary thing it had to feel like instead of a more of a trying to compensate type of thing and and push it more into that so but this de- this definitely has more seems to have more confidence in her artistic style to let her artistic style shine through on it and Absolutely. so that thus you get these fra- you know the the weird dreamy frames when he's fighting uh Lumia See, I would love to be able to pop over, you know, pop over and, and, and visit the alternate universe that's out there somewhere where Steve Lealoha stuck around longer because he mm-hmm. only did prior to this issue, he only did issues two through five, and that was it. 
and then he was gone after that. But you know, in my mind, Steve Lealoha is the man who, at least artistically speaking, saved Marvel Star Wars. And what I mean by that is, if you remember issue one, I think it's almost universally agreed that issue one's art was friggin' horrible. It just wasn't good. I mean, and it was Howard Chaikin, who's a hell of a good artist, but he was in that weird phase, you know? So it just doesn't look good. And then you, you know, you, you get the next issue, or if you're reading one of the big reprints, you know, you flip that page to the first panel, that beautiful splash in issue two, where it's Luke laying on the on the desert floor and the Tuscan Raiders are all around him, and you're just like, oh my god, what yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it just the, the art took a quantum leap to all of a sudden it looks like poster art or something. It's gorgeous, and he had that style through two through five. And then that was it. He was gone. So like I said, I'd, I'd love to go to this universe where he stuck around because I would love to see what more of his stuff would have looked like. I mean, as much as I loved Palmer's stuff, I mean, if there's one guy I could point to and go, man, I wish this guy had done all the issues. It was, it was Le Aloha because look at I this like his, issue. I like it's his, beautiful. I like Le Aloha when he does his own penciling too. Mm-hmm. I like his art. That, there oh, is, yeah. Uh, as, as so basically as an inker he brings a little of his his style his the the way his details stand out and that works really well with her spare semi anime right style but well, there's i mean like page what is it 16 there's that page of luke just looking out into the distance at the bottom in another one of those dreamy frames that's a total that's that's more total funny. like Luke stare, you know, staring at the twin sons of tattooing. Sort of, sh- it right. really captures that Mark Hamill with very, very little detail, but he still put, you know, the detail is in certain places, like in the hair and then the rocks and stuff. I just, I really like this. You know, it, it's not like you know this this series has been endlessly plagued with crappy art. I mean, you know, we've made fun of different, no. you know, weirdness in art over the, the issues or what. I mean, but for the most part, I've always, I, I still maintain that the art's been pretty fantastic over the. Well, course even of the, the wonkiest of like, say, Carmen Im- Carmine Infantino. Right. Still had its own style to it, and it, and it and had its own charm. But I think this yeah. is the first time where you can look at these panels and at these sequences and go, holy cow, that's Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Whereas you didn't really get a lot of that prior to this. I mean, sure, it felt and it read like Star Wars, but I mean, come on, let's be honest with ourselves. You look at Carmen Infantino's Han Solo, and that's not Harrison Ford, you know? I like this. I like that you can look at, you know, in the same page you were just talking about, 16, you look at that panel of Han right there, that could be drawn from life. It's not, and that's why I love it, because it's not just simply photo-referenced, but damn, if that's not Harrison she Ford. She just got it's Harrison Solo. Ford down. Yeah. yeah, and it's great. I mean, Han Solo's body language and, and everything is Han Solo, and it's really, I mean, that's a hell of a uh, of a great artist, when they can bring that to something and, and and not just be, you know, copied from somewhere, but you're actually they they have interpreted the way that person moves and put that on the page. I love that. It, it's really back, nice. Like another page to page fifteen. There's a shot of Han just sort of thinking and looking up in the air mm-hmm. and talking to Leia. That that body language is perfect, and that's not from it. Yeah, you're right. It's not from any movie. But it captures the essence of Harrison Ford 
yep. in very little. He's mostly just a black blob with a little detail. It's very Klaus Jansen like sort of, but there he is, you know. The one and it's it's not just a body language, it's the way his costume fits right. him and stuff like that. Yeah. The one that strikes me is the last panel on page twelve where Han's drawing his blaster. That's like wow, you know? It's such a simple panel, but that conveys that's who that character is. It's that it's really, really nice. I love it. I, I think she is a fantastic and uh, and highly underrated artist, especially with with these two issues. They're just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Um, I had a few notes on this one. Uh, you know what's weird is that you know here this is one of my absolute favorite issues of the entire series. Uh, you know, and you don't have a lot of notes on it. No, I do have actually quite a few notes. But the funny thing is, is here it's one of my favorite issues. Yet it's my one of my absolute least favorite covers of the entire series. Now, I like Kent Williams. I really do. I think this is a horrid cover. I've never liked this. The colors are bizarre and muddy. Han and Leia are just, for one thing, they're photo-referenced. I'm sorry, yes, Luke and Leia. Um, they're photo-referenced, for one, which always irritates me. But she's photo-referenced from Endor. In Jedi, and then he's photo referenced in his Hoth outfit from Empire. So it's like, huh? And then the Lumia that's in the background is the earlier Bob McCloud version. So it's not even the same character that's in the story. So it's just between the color choices and the costuming choices, I just, I've just never dug on this cover. I'm sad to say, but I don't mind the cover. It reminds me of a novel art. Yes, yeah, but um. Yeah. My problem, my problem with this, you know, like I, I think it, it, it almost reminds me of like they're trying to emulate maybe the um, Sienkiewicz cover, yeah, that great Sienkiewicz cover, but the layout of this, like the okay, so you've got Luke and Leia and Lumia, and then a sort of a moon or a planet over her to sort of, but in a graphic design thing, you've you've got this sort of triangle formed by. Lumia, uh, Luke's and Leia's body, and Luke's lightsaber. Right. And you have this empty space that throws the whole thing yeah. out of balance. It's sort of got Spider-Man or, or a UPC code, depending on you know which version you got. Right. But that doesn't balance it out. That doesn't really fit in the design. It needed something more in there so it makes me think that this was maybe made for something else and was going to have writing there or something or they were planning to do something else, you know or like yeah. in this issue luke blah 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 all this but it's missing something's missing out of it something yeah. needs to be in there to make it pleasing to the eye it's not symmetrical which you know i right. never caught that before but that's probably why it's always bugged me because i have a very symmetrical aesthetic you know what i mean well, it doesn't even have to be symmetrical as much as balanced. And if it's right. unbalanced, it needs to be unbalanced and for a reason to set a uh, off kilter mood or something. Right. And this, it doesn't seem to do that because everything else is. You got the moon up there, which frames the 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 letters for Star Wars and and is behind the Marvel thing, and it makes it stand out more. And you've got her cutting the frame and ha you know. Lo Lumia cutting the frame in half and looming. 
and then you got everything else shoved down into the lower right hand <laughs> right. side, and it just does it. You know, I'm maybe to a, that she's looming over them, and but no, it's yeah. some, it's just something was not. It's very like Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew or something. <laughs> yes. It just doesn't. Yeah, I, I. But I don't want to linger too much over that because I mean that that really is my only complaint about the uh, the entire issue. Everything else I think is fantastic. And uh, just to go back to uh, Steve Lealoha for a moment, you know, it, it's funny to me that I've always kind of considered him one of those like, gee, whatever happened to that guy? And and I was doing some research, you know, exactly where did he go after working on the uh, the adaptation of the first Star Wars. And it turns out, damn, this dude is like one of the most prolific mm-hmm. Marvel inkers of the 1980s who's actually still working today. And, you know, of course, I know his name and I know who he is, but I just, I never realized that once he left Star Wars, it's not like he just disappeared into a black hole until this issue. I mean, he and was busting some out some work. Stuff. He did that, co- that Coyote series. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right, yeah. But, I mean, I, I guess what it is is that, you know, he continued to work and, and was very prolific, but he was always off in, like, the fringes of the Marvel Universe because he did a lot of work like, you know, like Ms. Marvel and Power Man and Spider-Woman and, and sort of the, like, B and C-lister type stuff. And, you know, now it makes me really anxious to want to track down some of that stuff and, and you know, really follow his work because uh, – I think he's a hell of an artist. I really do. I mean, I always have I like him a lot. I like his the way his details look. Mm-hmm. He is very it's, detailed. Mm-hmm. Sadly, he doesn't ink the next issue, which I think is an absolute crime that uh, that he didn't do both chapters of this. But uh, he will come back one more time, one last romp in uh, in issue 105, which I don't remember very well, so I'm anxious to see uh, what that's going to look like. I'm hoping he's inking over Cynthia Martin in that issue, but I'm not 100% sure, because from here on out is where we start to be plagued by the damn filler issues, and, uh, and I know we're going to get a couple in the future, so I'm not sure who he inks over yeah. it in that. Um, this opening page, page one, the, the, the full page splash of, uh, Lumia just standing there and you, you really get a good look at, you know, her, her new armor and the bionic parts are showing through in the midsection and the very like Batman looking cape. I was just going to say her bat wings behind her. Yeah. It reminds me of now, of course this would be years and years and years later, but it reminds me the way her cape is drawn here reminds me a lot of the way that Todd McFarlane would draw Batman a time or two. And I would love to see Cynthia Martin's Batman would, I think. Oh yeah. Fantastic. But anyway, this, uh, this splash, damn it. I want a t-shirt of this. And I mean like right friggin' now. I love this picture. It's awesome. Um, when I was a kid and I turned to pages two and three, I remember getting freaked the hell out, man. I thought this was Lando. Because he looks a lot like Lando Calrissian, and I thought, yeah, oh my he God, does. he's going to waste Lando to get to, you know, to Luke and, and Leia, you know, type of thing. Um, I think Admiral Akbar's having like an allergic reaction in this issue or something. Yeah, hydrocephalus, yeah. something. Yeah, he he's the only trouble spot in the art, honestly. But he's a pretty big one because he looks just really busy. He looks like he's got like a 
some kind of animal, but I can't quite place like uh like almost like an elephant or something. He's his head is just really out of proportion with the rest of his body, but I'm not gonna linger over that either because I love everything else with the art in this. <laughs> that panel, it's the second panel on page three, where it's just Lumia's eyes and she's saying Skywalker. I love that. I have always loved that. I'm gonna come back to that one in a minute. Got a little story about that one. Let's see what else we got here. Um, page seven. Is this the first time we've seen this ship that that Luke and Kiro and Danny are traveling in? Because I really like that ship. It's not especially Star Wars looking. No, it's almost like a stealth bomber, a little bit mixed with um, the old um, Battlestar Galactica ships. Do you remember bit. that video game that I had? It was I'm pretty sure it was an Atari 2600 game. It was a side scroller. And you would fly along and you had to to shoot and dodge enemy ships and it actually changed from day to night. It, and uh I cannot remember what the name of it was. It was something like Planet Patrol or no, not Planet Patrol. Damn, I can't think of it, but that it looks like the ship from that game, kinda. But it's really neat. I mean, it looks like a cross between like a like a Klingon scout cruiser or something, and and like something from almost like from like space nineteen ninety nine or something. It's really cool looking. I mean, it's got sleek. It doesn't look particularly Star Warsy though. You're right, but I, I thought it was really neat. I just can't remember if yeah. I've seen this before. Um. Okay, I I don't want to bust on the story because I agree with you. I think that finally this really highlights um, Joe Duffy as a really excellent writer. I think she did a fantastic job, again, on both the, the beautiful blend of some really funny humor stuff, but also some really great you know dark stuff and, and some action. I mean, just ass-kicking action through, through the whole issue. However, I think... At least a part of the plot when they get to canoeing is a little strange because um, here's what Luke says. He says, the fact that suddenly, for no reason anyone could explain, a previously uninhabited planet uh, suddenly began to register life readings, uh, which just as suddenly disappeared. He's explaining why they've come to this planet. Now I'm thinking, so this nascent government has time to monitor barren planets for if and when life might suddenly spring up on them. I'm thinking, yeah, it could be some smuggler like lands on it to (laughs) fix part of the ship or something, you know, who knows? But you know, the, the entire infrastructure of the galaxy just collapsed. And this, is this really your most important concern right now? And who, you know, how do they have time and the resources to even set up such a monitoring system? Was this already in place by the Empire, and they just took over keeping an eye on? I mean, why? Why do they care? You know, it, it's some world off on the fringes, and and just because all of a sudden they got a blip on their life sign monitor, they're going to race out there to check it out. It just—I understand that it's a plot contrivance, but when you look at it too closely, it, to me, it just doesn't seem like it works very well logically, but. Anyway, there was another one like that, too, on um, on page 8. I actually really like this, where uh, Leia was bitching about you know the situation that... And I, this scene, by the way, really reminded me strongly of the uh, 
the apartment scene between Leia and uh, Han on Cloud City in, in uh-huh. Empire. But there's a scene here where um, yeah, the scene starts where she's complaining about the situation. She says, I don't believe She says, I simply don't believe it. As if things weren't bad enough, uh, it's not enough that I have to come back to Cabre in the company of four Zeltrons. Not bad enough that I have to go to a party and listen to a bunch of people who never lifted a finger against the Empire, yawn and mince, and dispute our fitness to administer the freedoms we fought for. But now I'm expected to do it without so much as a dress to wear. And I'm thinking, I like this part because isn't that kind of what it would be like, though? You know, if, if, if this really happened where this scrappy band of rebels overthrew the government, wouldn't, like, all the rich people and the fat cats eventually step in to go, we're not necessarily going to let you people take over, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's yeah, always yeah. The, the people, you know, the... the, the the beautiful people that are going to want to have their say and right, right, you know, step in and into the breach and, and run things. I would think, but I like Which, that. Yeah, and 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 it's another one of those elements that they've been trying to do before in the political intrigue ones that they've been doing lately that actually works this time, right? And makes exactly. sense. <laughs> exactly. it adds to the adds to the adds a pertinent element to the story and a believable element to the story too. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, well, we went on a lot about uh, Cynthia Martin and, and her and her, you know, great Han Solo, but I think uh, it has to be said her Leia is absolutely gorgeous, especially in this issue. I don't think Leia's honestly. I don't think she's ever looked better. Um, she has a really, I, I think she's incredible in the way that she does take this outfit that on anybody else probably would come off as as really slutty i mean there's literally only half of a dress here yet cynthia martin really pulls off leia having a regal bearing about her to where she is able to overcome the shortcomings of the dress and still pull pull off stately you know and and royalty but also looking really really nice in that outfit too strangely i remember my cousin michelle being a huge fan of this issue so much that she actually used to uh to redraw panels from this because i can remember like getting letters from her in the mail and stuff and there was one where she had actually uh really faithfully recreated that panel of uh of Lumia saying Skywalker, you know, just her eyes. And I always thought that was really cool. Um and you had commented on the on how the border panels during the, the portion of the story where Luke and uh, and she are fighting, you know, how they're all pretty pretty edgy. much wherever Lumia is, even when she attacks Kiro and uh Oh right! There, it's it's got the same sort of electrified, foggy frame. Yeah, I like that. It's a very dynamic bit of storytelling, and, and you know, most of those panels. Actually, now that I look at it, I think all the panels with her fighting with Luke, they're all silent, which is really, really great. Let's see, we got a harbinger of things to come. Oh yeah, pages uh, fifteen. And 16, the last panels of each of those pages, especially 15, Luke just looks, he looks kind of pissed, but he just, it's a great panel because he's determined. You know, you see the ship that they came in way off in the background. You see the icy barren planet all around him. And here's Luke 
lightsaber in hand, and he's just setting off. You know, he's got you know, the other hand is clenched. He's just got this great determined look. He's pissed. He's pissed, but he's in control. Right. He's going to go resolve this situation like right now. He's going to go find out who hurt his friends. I just love that. It's that's why she's great. It's a it's a very it's not a super detailed drawing, but it communicates several different emotions. Yeah, exactly. Through body language and facial expression and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Is everything you need to know is right there in that panel. You don't need anything. You know, there's there's no. Um, caption boxes through this entire story and you don't need them because everything you need is right here in the art it's fantastic uh page 17 again that's the uh, the start of the fight great great panel and we're going to see some of that stuff mirrored in the next issue now i got a big question for you i was trying to rack my brain and really go back to um cliffhangers in marvel star wars and of course, the one that I always come back to is Luke Skywalker. I have come for you. Do you think this might be possibly the second best cliffhanger? It might be. It's a pretty good one. But this, but, I would say, this the, the thing about it is five. The thing about it is that makes this maybe not as much of a. Uh, I may I will I probably wouldn't favor this as much as that one was. That one was so, that cliffhanger was something conceivable in the comics. It was right. Darth Vader's coming back, and there could be some, you know, square off. This cliffhanger is, is Luke Skywalker dead? Right. And you know he's not going to be dead. It's a good cliffhanger. It's a good way to, it's a good, like, boom to end the comic. And once again, very Frank Miller-like. Mm-hmm. Um, only in the, it, everything to do with Luke and, and or with Luke, uh, Lumia in this is, is, is owes a lot to like Frank Miller's Daredevil and the way the frames are broken down and stuff, which I was a big fan of that in those days. So this was just like, oh, wow, that element's been added to Star Wars effectively. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, and um, and that's what that that last panel reminds me of, like the last page of a, what, you know, that that golden era um, Frank Miller Daredevil. Right. But. At the same time, it was more of the, anti- the the anticipation from this that I got was more like, there's going to be a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, it might not be next issue, but sometime, you know, because that's what happened when, when someone like Luke gets knocked down, there's, there's going to have to be not as, maybe not, in Star Wars, it's not as much payback now that he's kind of Jedi, but there's going to be a reckoning. <laughs> right. So I was looking forward to that, and I and and at the time, both you and I were just like really psyched when Lumia came back. So this was just like Definitely. it looked like there was going to be, you know, a lot. I mean, I remember we were sort of hoping that this would, you know, would be something that she would become sort of the Darth Vader of the series from that point on. You know, I maybe think another was... character that might not ever get defeated because it would be too. You know, they're they're one of the central characters, right? I think that was the original intent, and uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a bit. But yeah, I think that originally that was the intent, mm-hmm. um, was to 
you know, establish her as the new, not just a new bad guy, but the new bad guy. And I like that, you know, yeah, she'd had an appearance or two prior to this, but she wasn't anything to write home about. Suddenly, in one issue, in one appearance, she goes straight to the top of the heap of yeah. threats. I mean, she kicks Luke Skywalker's ass in this issue. Well, in in theory, she's always been a really neat character. They haven't pulled her off, but uh, but now, or well, I mean, they haven't pulled her off a hundred percent because right. we were both really big fans of her character from <laughs> into this, but. In this one, she—it's like okay, this works. They've they've retooled, fiddled around with it, with what she looks like and how she's presented in the comic, and this time it worked. Right. You know, this is basically like, uh, you know, somebody working on a recipe, and and you know, the third try in, they got it completely right. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this- and this is the first issue where all the elements that they've been trying to put in just go click, 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 click. And agree. then all of a sudden you have click, even a bad character that you that you can enjoy that has a backstory. Mm-hmm. So, and has a vendetta against Luke, so it's perfect. Well, the only other thing I got on this one was a quick mention about the letter column that... Uh, I always get a kick. I mean, at this point, I don't know who's to blame for this. I don't know if it's Anna Senti as the editor. I really don't know back in these days who is responsible for what the letter column looked like and out. what they ran. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it should have been the editor. It should have been Anna Senti. should yeah. be pretty much. Well, it's pitiful because nothing, nothing but praise. <laughs> and I mean glowing, slobbering, horrible, horrible praise uh, for... That, fawning, uh, kowtowing. Fawning, uh, fawning is a perfect, yes. Fawning praise for that Brett Blevins, like, Rankin-Bass Hobbit issue that we had a while back with, what was that little kid's With the name? little girl boy. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I can't remember if it was supposed to be a girl but was a boy, but, or was supposed right. to be a boy but a girl, but... Right. I think it was supposed to be a boy because it looked totally like a little girl. That was what I think was the... Yeah. It was disturbing in many, many levels. And then that Wookiee Planet story, which uh, well, that one wasn't bad, but it wasn't like, you know, according to the letters page, that's going to be like the next movie. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, come on. You know, seriously? So some of them were so bad that I was at a point where I'm like, you know, is she pulling a Stan Lee here and just writing her own <laughs> you know, letter column? Because you got to wonder sometimes. But that was about it for that one. Um the ads were interesting, but uh, be- for the for the sake of time, I'm going to skip the ads this time around because although I, I want a giant poster for the Captain America with the two kids, yes, the young reach for the stars yeah. for the young astronauts program. God damn it! Yeah, I know right it is. It's nice. It's nice. Well, I, I do like that. Um, the inside- hear that, kitties? Reach for the stars! God damn it! <laughs> Kick your ass! I do like the inside front cover ad too because it's uh, it's the Spider-Man books that were out at the time and they're they're promoting uh, Web of Spider. This is when Web of Spider-Man number one was kicking off, kids. So that'll give you an idea of when. Uh, or actually, that's not the first issue, is it? That's if like, I recall, I think Web of issue. Spider-Man was pretty good. It was good. It was really good. And I always like that John Byrne cover of uh, Spider-Man being burned in effigy there too. That's pretty cool. But. 
I am dying to get chomping at the bit, are you? I am. I seriously am. God, I love this issue. So here we go. This is it. Star Wars number 96. I I can't believe we're here. I really can't. Uh, June 1985 issue. Original cover price, 65 cents. The cover is an absolute stunner. Easily one of my favorites of the entire series. It features a, uh, sli- it has to be said, slightly Asian-looking uh, Luke Skywalker, but he's uh, he looks fantastic. He's sleeveless. He's got his green and very accurate-looking-for-a-change lightsaber. He's holding it two-handedly over his head as Lumaya cracks her uh, light whip up against it. Background is entirely black, so the figures, not, not only do they really pop because the coloring's very nice, you've got this stark black in the background. You know, especially Lumaya really looks good because her cybernetic parts, you know, they're black anyway. So it gives her a, a, like a, this partially like see-through look that I think looks really, really cool. And uh, I, I just, god damn do I love this cover. It's gorgeous. It's really, really nice. This story is entitled Duel. With a dark lady. Luke Skywalker faces his enemy atop a cold and windy rocky crag. He with lightsaber in hand, she with her whip. They lock eyes, and after a fierce stare down, there is a glimmer of recognition in Luke's eyes. Lumaya seems to sense this and closes in on the young Jedi. Luke ignites his saber. Lumaya uncoils her leather weapon, then depresses a button on its hilt, activating a second element the light whip. Luke puts up a valiant struggle, but it quickly becomes apparent that he has met his match. Lumaya presses her advantage, attacking again and again, showing no quarter, no mercy. Luke is struck and stung and lashed and cut. Luke falls to his knees, completely overcome by the dual nature of this new and unexpected weapon and the mastery with which the Dark Lady expertly wields it. Luke Skywalker, disarmed, falls. This exciting issue goes for seven silent pages, completely without dialogue or sound effects, before we get to the credits or anyone speaking. So the credits on this one are Joe Duffy Writer, Cynthia Martin Penciler, Bob Wyasek as the inker, Rick Parker, letterer, Glennis Oliver, colorist, and Ascenti, editor, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. Lumaya stands staring at the body of her vanquished foe, lying on a cold slab in her ice fortress on the barren planet of Kinuine, as her ally, Den, a member of the new and mysterious pale-skinned race known only as the Nagai, congratulates her on her victory. With Skywalker out of the way, Den says that they can proceed with their plans to take out the Alliance of Free Planets. But Lumaya isn't so convinced it will be that easy. Besides, she's not interested in the Alliance. For her, the goal has always been beating Luke Skywalker. Then why did you stop short of killing him, Den asks, to which Lumaya replies that there are things worse than death, implying that she has further and perhaps sinister plans for our hero. After a quick bit of exposition between the two, which explains a bit about the dual nature of Lamaya's weapon, she asks if he's heard anything from the main fleet, to which he replies that word is good, and that they're on their way now that she and Den have this underground base ready, 
and other points of power in this galaxy already established. They proceed to a holding cell where Den takes special interest in the captured Danny and decides to conduct a bit of personal research on the nature of Zeltrons. Kiro awakens, hurting but alive, and crawls ashore. He fashions himself a new containment suit out of the spare materials on hand and sets off to rescue his friends. He proves to be a stealthy and effective warrior, taking out several of the Nagai and making his way deep into their base where he frees his friend, Luke Skywalker. Luke, happy to see Kiro alive and grateful for his assistance, has a change of heart about Kiro's prior interest in the ways of the Force and he tells Kiro that if he's still interested, Luke will train him as best he can to be a Jedi Knight. Then, seeing the supplies, tools, and weapons that Kiro has brought with him on this rescue mission, the lightsaberless Luke Skywalker gets an idea and tells Kiro he needs to put something together. Later, Lamaya stands atop a rocky outcropping, lost in thought, when the voice of Luke Skywalker snaps her out of her reverie. I believe you have something that belongs to me, he says, and using the force, calls his lightsaber to his hand. Lumaya uncoils her whip and prepares to take the Jedi down once again. But this time, Luke has come prepared to face the dual nature of her weapon. Holding his lightsaber overhead with his bionic right hand, Luke activates a second, shorter weapon, a red-bladed light baton. The fight goes very differently for Lumaya this time as Luke is able to fend off the energy portion of her whip with his lightsaber and shred the physical elements with his light baton. Luke, sensing victory, asks her if this isn't all just a little pointless and he starts to call her by another name to which she screams at him not to call her that. That person doesn't exist anymore. He killed her. Luke holds his light baton out in front of him as she charges again but he confidently stands his ground, fending off blows, leaping over lashes, shredding her whip, and finally allowing her to ensnare his lightsaber with the coils of the light portion of her whip. I have it, she yells, his lightsaber! But it's a ruse, and slashing with his light baton, Luke destroys her whip and sends both it and his lightsaber flying, clattering down the side of the precipice on which they stand. Disarmed, but not yet beaten, Lumaya charges Luke, but he steps aside and deftly slashes at her with his light baton, destroying her cloak, her hood, her mask, and revealing the broken, beautiful woman underneath. Finish me, the red-haired woman demands, but Luke refuses. Kiro asks if Luke knows her, to which he gives a simple, sad, yes. Then make her tell us where they've taken Danny, but Lumaya says no. Wonder where she is and suffer. Suffer more knowing that she's suffering too, as I've suffered since the day Luke Skywalker gave me this existence in place of my life. As a cyborg, a mockery of life, half a woman kept alive only by my machine parts. I didn't know you were alive, says Luke. I didn't even know it was you I'd killed. Just some Imperial who was trying to kill me and a lot of good rebels. Luke, who is she? asks Kiro. And the woman replies, I was Shira Elan Kola Bry. Now I am Lumaya. And someday, little fish man, I will spit on your grave as I will spit on your friend Skywalker's after I have seen him bereft of hope and even the will to live. Lumaya, says Luke. The man who made you feel this way used you as a tool, but he's dead now, and he wouldn't have wanted you to go on like this. At the end, he reconciled to the good in himself. 
as you can. I know it. Believe me. As Darth Vader was my father, I... Kiro stops him saying, Luke, look at the sky. What's happening to it? They look up, and there's this weird distortion up in the sky, just all these odd shapes. And the three of them stand looking at this, and Luke says, looks like something big coming out of hyperspace. And Lamaya says, then despair now, Luke Skywalker. And on the very last page, a beautiful splash page, this massive, massive formation of starships, all uh, chrome and really weird looking, but but very cool too, is uh, filling every corner of the sky. As Lamaya says, the Nagai invasion fleet is here. And that's how the issue concludes. So, that's Star Wars 96. What did you think? Oh, this is, this is one of the best issues ever. Oh, yeah. You know, from the, the I mean, it's great. The first, uh, my fa- two favorite pages, first page and the last page. Yep. Very, very, the first page, very much the Frank Miller style of the time. I remember opening this up with a kid, the, the way the lettering is. It's it's more of a um, drawn lettering than you know type, very thick, heavy font. And then the last page, not as much. I wouldn't compare the last page with Frank Miller as much as I would compare it to like Michael Golden. Heavy metal it's, is what the is that's heavy the vibe metal. I get every time I look at this. And not not and I'm not talking necessarily the yeah, movie, like Mobius, but the magazine, yeah, yeah like yeah. yeah, like Mobius or something like that. Very detailed insect-like ships, yeah, it in a really neat me, uh, formation. Do you remember? I have no idea what the artist's name is, but do you remember those? Um, I they're either from the '60s or '70s. They were those weird art things where. Uh, where it would be like the giant person, like a giant head with an arm, and they'd be shifting a shifter level on a little teeny tiny like hot rod car with like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's coming. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I'm trying to remember his name, Big Daddy Kane. Yeah, I kind of get that vibe too because there's that one. It's that giant starship that's about oh about three quarters of the way down the page on the right hand side it's got all these like they look like exhaust pipes sticking yes that's great but it's all very chrome and metallic looking it's just really cool stuff you know i this isn't part of my notes but i I just wanted to mention real quick you know i I don't want to sound like i'm tooting my own horn beer but i was really pleased with myself that when i was doing the synopsis of this I caught something that I had never caught before, and especially, you know, I, I missed it as a kid. On the third panel of page two, it dawned on me that Luke realizes exactly who she is in that panel. I never realized that before, but I'm convinced that that's what he's thinking in that panel. Is that that's why yeah. his eyes are different? Because he looks, that, he's looking into her, and then he's like, "Whoa, shit!" And she's just like, "Yeah, fuck you." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, because in the first two panels, you've got the first panel is him looking, you know, very stern. You know, the, he's he's staring at her. The next, yes. panel, she's staring at him. And then the third panel, his demeanor and his expression have completely changed to one of almost sympathy. And I think he, in that instant, he realized who she was. And you're right. The next panel is her realizing that he knows who she is and being like, yeah, screw you, buddy. You know? Yeah, you got that right, man. Now I'm going to kick your ass. Kick your ass again. Exactly. Yeah. 
Actually, this is the first fight, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. A, this is back to the first fight. Yeah, but you're right. I, I think she totally. That's exactly what she's doing. She's once watching. again Cynthia Martin doing um, complex emotions with just frames. Right. No text in boxes. All dialogue and pictures. Yeah. No caption. No dialogue. No sound effects. Not uh, pages, and you you have to understand. Not too unusual these days, but not, back then this was awesome. This is groundbreaking stuff for its time because yeah, exactly. I mean, this was you know, DC and Marvel have both made major promotions out of having months where a comic series came out with a what they called silent issues. That I mean, that's a decade away from this. And here she is doing it, you know, not for the entire issue, but I mean, come on, a solid, what, third of the issue doing yeah. it. And it's fantastic. And there's not one panel in this where I look at and go, I don't know what the hell's going on here, which has happened to me in other silent issues, you know, that I've looked at and gone, I'm not sure what this part's about, but I'll just ride with it. No, in this here, you know exactly what's happening. And it's just awesome. And once again, any frame that involves her is all jagged and mm-hmm. and any any frame. Well, there's there's frames with her that aren't like that. That are just sort of standard story with exposition and stuff. Are back to the to the to the squares or involving Kiro or anything like that. But when it comes to when it comes to fighting. Mm-hmm. I guess towards the end, with the, the the fight at the end is all in a sta- in standard frame for some reason. I love the part where he cuts off her her armor. That's just a beautifully drawn, yes. frame. very Frank Miller style. Once again, you know, like a, a frame from a movie captured, you know, just um, uh, from a really neat scene in a movie, just freeze framed, you know. Yeah, and, and it's in three parts. You know, her running at her. Him striking and then him sort of recovering after the strike. He's still swinging through and she's already on the ground with her face exposed. Right. And she's kind of scarred up. Yeah. So, so, and now we're, now we're playing all the Darth Vader parallels, you know, where, except Luke has, crea- has created his own Darth Vader. And uh, I like how she's not, you know, he starts giving her the rap, you know, hey, Darth Vader had a deathbed conversion, and uh, he was my dad, by the way. And I think he was sort of, if I were Luke, I would be sort of thinking, hey, the Darth Vader is my dad thing might be, like, a great trump card to play, you know, to to get people to change their mind. Doesn't even... Doesn't even phase her. She's just like, oh, no, the invasion fleet's here. You're gonna die. (laughs) It, he's he's not gonna talk his he's not gonna Captain Kirk talk his way through right. this one, you know, by by logically telling her something that you know, giving her a, a logical one two punch that defeats her. And at this and point, I like the coming out of hyperspace effect too. Yeah. That was really neat. Yeah. You know, at this point she's too close to her hatred, you know, still to, to lighten up on him and all but she just got her ass kicked right i'm thinking that's what he may be going for here is is trying to catch a glimmer of shira in her and Mm. see i i think that's one of the reasons um 
why I both really like and really resent the character of Mara Jade in the expanded universe is because I always felt that Mara Jade should be this character. I think that Mara Jade owes a hell of a lot to this character. And I like the character of her, but ultimately, I would have liked it a hell of a lot better if if it had been her. It had been Shira Bride. Yeah, because I, I think basically Mara Jade was nothing but a placeholder for Shira Bride until she was actually brought in to continuity uh, much, much later on. I don't want to do much uh, spoiling ahead or skipping ahead. Um, mostly because I haven't read um, all those books myself, but uh, I'm thinking about it really heavy now. You know about skipping ahead to that stuff because this story got me re- you know just reignited so much over this character that now I want to read further on to to where that went. But I I think I can't help but feel that if this series had continued, that maybe they would have gone that way. I, I look at it as great missed opportunity because i mean from this point on she only has three more appearances three more appearances and that's it and i i can't help but wonder that uh you know if the series had gone on and everything that uh you know that that maybe part of the reason she didn't kill luke despite what she tells den maybe part of the reason she didn't kill him is she still did have feelings for him yeah she hated him yeah she was pissed at him but at the same rate Maybe there was a little bit of something there that, you know, in their prior relationship had actually been real. And well, in the that, female brain, I think hate and love sort of come they're from very close. the same place a lot, yeah. a lot of times. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, so, like when, when, when a girl first meets a guy and just like, I hate that guy, you know, if she just didn't like him and wasn't interested in him, she'd be just like, whatever, and forget about him. But like when somebody's like, there's something there. Well, you know, there's that, that that old saying about, you know, the fury and a woman's scorn and all that sort of thing. I mean, what could she possibly be more furious about than the fact that, you know, this man that she loved or she thought loved her or whatever killed her. And now she's back seeking her revenge. I, I think that that would have been a hell of a great angle to play with. I kind of wonder, you know, for one we don't have much left in the series, sadly. You know, we have less than a year from this point. But also, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, is this one of those Lucasfilm, you know, behind the scenes, yeah. you can't do that, you can't play with that? Because that becomes a constant, constant remark from here on out in the letters pages. Why can't Luke get laid? Why can't Luke have a steady girl on the side? I think this would have been a great dynamic to play with here, especially if, all right, say I'm right, and... Part of the deal that's going on with Shira here is that she's just plain pissed at Luke, but she does actually still have feelings for him. All right, so Luke gets himself a new girl, and then Shira comes gunning for the new girl for you know that extra bit of of revenge. But also, you know, if I can't have you, no woman's you know that sort of thing. I mean, that would have been a great dynamic to play with. You know, that that his his basically the best new enemy for Luke is the scorned girlfriend, you know, ex-girlfriend. I think that's a, that would be a hell of a great way to have taken the series. It's a shame that, uh, that, you know, they, they didn't have the, the time or maybe even the permission to, to run in that direction. Cause I know that would have kept me excited and kept me reading the book 
you know, in depth. If it was a Lucasfilm of today, we would have seen a lot different Star Wars Marvel run, right? Than seeing now, right? I mean, have you ever read the uh, the Timothy Zahn stuff? Only part of the first book, and I was not. That was the; those were the first ones that came out, right? The, right. Yeah. Yeah, I I started to read. I was really excited about them, and I think I got them when they came out in paperback. And I got about a third of the way through the first one, and I was like, you know what? I'm not enjoying this at all. See, you and it's, I, it's not. It's has not captured Star Wars in a bottle for me. Right. It was, didn't feel like a. I was I was plotting through it, and it's like no, I should be, I should be leaping from one planet to another, from one adventure to another, right? And it wasn't doing that, so I was I was out of there real quick. See, you and I totally reach when it comes to that because I feel the same way that those books aren't very good, that they're extremely overrated and everything. But there was one they, element they reminded me of some of the the writing elements that I didn't like of the early run of Star Wars. You know, it's like, oh, let's find an old. I I remember something about an old man who was like an old Jedi master, crazy, right? You know, yeah, he's going to be the new Obi Wan Kenobi type character, and I was just like, I yeah, don't need this, yeah. But there was one element of those. I mean, in my opinion, if that trilogy of books has one saving grace, it was the character of Mara Jade. And basically her her whole story had been that she had been secretly, she had been the emperor's hand. Um, and she was an agent of the, the emperor himself sent to kill Luke Skywalker. And over the course of that trilogy of books, not only do they go from being you know, bitter arch enemies, you know, uh, she and, and Luke Skywalker. But by the end of it, you know, you got the love boat theme playing, you know, you can see where, right. where, where there's a, a bit of a love connection beginning to happen. And I liked that. And it kept me intrigued about that character. And I've always wondered if, if part of the reason I liked that is because she, in both her backstory and her physical appearance, really strongly resembles uh, Shira Bry. I've always mm-hmm. wondered that. Um, you know, down to even wondering if maybe that was the the author's original intent, or if that's just some sort of weird coincidence or something. But just want to brag a bit. I, uh, I actually have this issue signed. I got it signed by Joe Duffy at uh, Ithacon fourteen. April 30th, 1989. Way back then, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, to this day, I have no idea why I didn't get it signed by Cynthia Martin. I can't remember the specifics. I, I'm almost positive she was there as well because I seem to distinctly remember her telling uh, where she pulled her artistic style from and specifically where she pulled this fight from. This fight, according to her, is pulled from some Chop Saki movie that was out at the time. And, you know, so that was where she would drew her inspiration for, you know, uh, angles and, and body positions and that. So she basically, she studied martial arts in order to, to accurately portray this fight. And I think that's cool. I think that's really neat. Because you know, I've heard her her art style uh, described as being anime or very anime like. See, I never really got that out of it. I I can see a little that, bit, uh, a little in the bit, spareness I mean, of it in the right. in the 
and the lots of em- empty space or negative space. Negative but, space, yeah. But not, you know, she's not doing the exaggerated big eyes and proportions of anime. Right. It's Speed just and all that it, crap. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just. For those days, it was very anime. It was very... It reminded me a little bit of the Nelvana yes. cartoons. I think we talked about that last yeah. episode, too. It had a, a very cartoon... A cell animation cartoon look to it, which I thought served Star Wars very well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's why the Clone Wars um, show works so well. Yeah, it works as it works as a cartoony sort of thing, and that's sort. This is sort of the first time, you know. It was. It's almost like it's it's ending up. They're they're figuring that out really late in the series. If they'd figured it out earlier, we might have had. Maybe it might have lasted longer, or it would have been really interesting. But it's strange. A lot of people look at this as sort of a wonky time in it, and I sort of look at it as it's a time where they're sort of hitting their stride. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, or a period. There's like all there's all there's like the Simonson period where it's right. like, ooh, this is what a you know month by month. You're like, ooh, what's coming out next? And it was like, ooh, this looks really cool. Now we're in another one of those. You know, well, you ever you ever see a a, a light bulb when it you know just before it goes out, you know, forever? It it just has that like flare up flash. And that's kind of what this feels like to me is that these two issues are the flash before it goes out forever. Because from here on out, and I won't say that there's never another good issue for the next 11 issues because there are, there are other good issues. But this is pretty much it. It doesn't I mean, live up to the promise of the, these ones. Exactly. But- Unfortunately, that's the sad part of it is that here we establish an awesome new villain and sadly it from here it doesn't really pan out and i think ultimately that that the reason why the 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 plug was pulled on this is because they kept doing things like this specifically joe duffy kept doing things like this coming up with new angles and new characters and new exciting concepts and every time she would do it in order to be able to tell a story somebody would knock the legs no. out from under her, and, right. and it just well. That's what it totally feels like because, it, it, you know, right. These two issues prove that you sort of got a team working in some sort of uh, unified fashion. That, that that Cynthia Martin and Joe Duffy have something going on here. You know, there's right. there's definitely some chemistry there, and that they that 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 Joe Duffy is like perfectly capable of writing really good stories like these two and the art and everything so you gotta almost figure it's coming from somewhere else so when you get an issue like this it's almost despite all the stuff they're fighting they can come out with something good but then they have to then they have to start from scratch and figure out a totally new one because nah it turns out you can't do that right or you can't take that any further or whatever but yeah, I mean, from here on in, there's a distinct whiff of you start picking up the whiff of the meddling, yeah, um, a lot more. It, it, it's plagued by several things. It, it's plagued by the meddling, uh, and and like you say, it's very very obvious. It's plagued by that. It's plagued by Anna Senti's just. I'm sorry to say it so uh, so bluntly, but I think inept editing 
And uh, wow, you know, I, I I've never been a fan of her editing to begin with, but there's an element coming up shortly I had completely forgotten about when it comes to this series, and it is a major, major mistake, probably the series killing mistake and uh, I can't wait to talk about that because you're, it's going to blow your mind if you don't know what I'm talking about when we get there. I it, totally don't remember. Yeah, it, it's one of those that you you just look at it and go, "How the hell could everybody could have slipped by?" It? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um we see uh Bob Wysek again for uh-huh. you know, this it's been a long time. You know the last story Bob Wysek did for Marvel Star Wars was the uh, the conclusion of the Omega Frost story where uh, oh, Luke took out that generator down on that asteroid. Remember that one? That was forever yeah. ago. And then that was after- back in the Infantino days. Yes, it was. It? Yeah, yeah. He was he was inking uh, Infantino and and doing all that weird experimental stuff. And uh, he did go on to do three more covers after that, but that was the the last actual story he did. But he actually did. The coverings to that god awful Princess Leia on the banking planet story number forty eight, oh. and uh, oh. you know, as, as much as I was kind of hot and cold on YSX inks back then, I think he did a fantastic job on this issue. I wish to God it's, it was. It Leia doesn't look Hoppa. like it doesn't look like Leia Aloha, but he does a uh, he he doesn't get in the way of Cynthia Martin's style. Right. Yeah, at the very least, her her style definitely comes through. Yeah, I, I think he did a fantastic job. It's it's really nice stuff. Uh, this is his last issue of Marvel Star Wars. And uh, I missed something. I, I had it in my notes for this issue, and I guess I missed that it actually uh, belonged more appropriately in my notes for the issue that you just did, number 95. But you had mentioned um, Glennis Oliver as the colorist. That is actually Glennis Wine. Apparently, uh, they Not split buried up somewhere. No, oh, yeah, oh they split up. Back. And so she went. She reverted to her maiden name of Glennis Oliver. Um, I guess it must have been last issue, but like I say, I had it in my notes for this issue. But one way or the other, the uh, uh, knife's race, the Nagai, are named for the first time in this issue, number ninety-six, and uh, they will be major players through the entire end of the series. Now you can find this story reprinted in a good number of places. You know it's been reprinted uh, by Dark Horse at least a couple of times, a couple of different trade series and that sort of thing. My favorite place that this is reprinted, and I actually am holding it in my hand, is they uh, had one of those. Is this Kenner? No, this is Hasbro. Put out one of those comic book series of figures. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's the you got you got a comic book reprint, and then a yes. action figures with it. Mm-hmm. A couple of years, I think it's been a couple of years now since I got this. I don't see a year on here anywhere, but uh, I know I've had this for a while. As part of one of their series, they did one where it reprints number 96. This issue we just covered. One of the figures is Lumaya, and she has her light whip which is just awesome. And then she has interchangeable heads. One of the heads is the one with the mask. And the, yeah, I think and you the, got this a lot, little longer ago. I, I seem to remember when you got this, you were living in Georgia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Like in those days, yeah. The other head is Shira Bry. 
but it's the scarred up face. So she has like a scar over her uh, right eye. She's got uh, the scarring on her left cheek and all that. Like at the end of this issue, it's really cool. And then the Luke Skywalker that's in this is probably my favorite Luke Skywalker figure I've ever seen because he's basically wearing his Bespin fatigues, except that the boots are black. I just realized that he's got black boots, but it's basically his Bespin, uh, Bespin fatigue outfit, but it's sleeveless, which is really cool. And then he's got his green lightsaber and his, uh, it looks more pink here than red, but his red light baton. And it's badass, man. I love this shit. I remember when I saw that. I, I either saw this online and then went and sought it out, or I saw it in the store and snapped it right up. One of the two. But I remember when this came out, I could not you were... believe that they had actually made a figure of Lumaya. I was just like, oh my god, I gotta own that. And uh, it's, it's friggin' awesome, man. I've never taken it out of the package. As much as I want to take it out, and reenact battles with my with my action figures. I, I can't I can't bring myself to peel this one open. It was made by Hasbro. Uh, yeah, according to this, it says Hasbro. See, I always thought Kenner was the licensees on this, but I get yeah, this is Hasbro by this point. Because a couple of the other sets um, that are shown on the back here is an issue of Legacy with two characters. I don't know who the hell they are. Um, no, I'm thinking I want to hunt me down one of those. It's nice. I mean, the sculpts are really nice. I mean, Lamaya is obviously um, really modeled on Cynthia Martin's art, and not so much with Luke. I mean, Luke pretty much looks like somebody took a Bespin fatigue Luke and just gave him bare arms. Gave him a little, yeah, makeover. Yeah, but Lumaya really looks like somebody took the time to try to interpret Cynthia Martin's drawings into a three-dimensional figure, and she just looks fantastic. She looks really, really good, and uh, and I really like. There's a little bit of art for both of the characters on the package themselves. It's original art, so far as I can tell. And the one of Luke is really cool because it's a it's a it's a bit photo reference, but it's Mark Hamill, and uh, you know he's uh, he's holding both of the light weapons, which is really neat. And then the one for Lumaya, again, as far as I can tell, is uh, is original art, and that one's really cool. But uh, God, I was so excited to have this, and uh, just love it. It's awesome. I've been trying to find these as lo- you know cheaply as loose figures, so I can actually display them, you know, out of the package rather than still you know these are. Proudly, these are still mint in the package, but I'd like to have a couple of loose ones to display and uh, and maybe even play, <laughs> play with a little, little bit. bit. <laughs> I have to be honest. <laughs> um, now you know, I mean, you know, I've always loved this issue, but you know, I we you know up until recent years, we never really had uh, the ability to uh you know to kind of touch base with with our fellow fans and find out what other people thought of you know this that or the other you know it's really with the whole podcasting and internet community and all that too, we finally are at that pay, you know that that stage where we can find out you know and talk to to other people right. you know their memories and that sort of thing so it was very gratifying to me as I was doing a little bit of research on this today to find that there was a, an article that said that uh, back in Star Wars Insider Magazine number 83, there was actually an issue, or excuse me, an article rather, called 
the 20 most memorable moments of the Star Wars EU. This is considered one of them. It was actually on the list was uh, was Luke's battle with Lamaya and and the revelation of who she was in this. Yeah. I think that's pretty damn cool. I mean, there were some big moments in there, and some God damn it spoiled things for me that I was trying to avoid. But I was looking at the list, just going, "Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's going." And I saw that this was on there, and it was just like, "All right, now that's that's awesome. I like that a lot." Um, and like I say, I, I know that she does go on to uh, to play an important part in the later EU stuff. I'm seriously considering jumping straight to Hitting that up. story. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have it. I own the whole thing, but it's one of those things that in, in order to get to it in the natural progression of how I've been reading those books, I've got like 50,000 books between where I'm at and where I want to be to read it. So I might just have to cheat and skip ahead because I really want to read the whole, you know, how was she brought back? How was she introduced? You know, that sort of thing. Speaking of eBay, I narrowly missed getting the Adoy magazine very <laughs> recently. I was watching it. Oh. It was 10 bucks and Ooh. like a dollar fifty for postage. And I was like, that's a little much for a magazine. Actually, it's not much for what those were going for when we saw them at the at Star Wars Celebration. But I always figure Star Wars, someplace like that, they're marked up, you know? Oh, yeah. So... So I was like, okay, you know, I could, you know, it's worth it $10 for me to, to get this, you know, and broke as I am, but it went up to like $20. So I did, you know, I just couldn't pay that much for it, but I'm keeping my eyes open. I kind of want it now. I do too, but what the hell makes that worth 20 bucks? It's shit when you, when you're completely honest with yourself, it's, it, that's why, that's, <laughs> that's why, why I want, <laughs> I, I, well, I was looking at other issues and I'm just like, oh dude, I want to read about the ET sequel, the way they're taught, you know, I want to hear what, it looks like they were sort of the, they were trying to be the, um, I don't want to say not National Enquirer, the Weekly World News. World News of of yeah, they're like Starlog, uh, low rent Starlog mixed <laughs> with Weekly World News. Right. So I think a lot of it was tongue in cheek, but it wasn't meant to be. It's like the Weekly World News when you're a kid and you see the Weekly World News, you're like, oh, that crazy newspaper. And then when you're an adult, you read it, you're like, these guys are brilliant. They're just being hilarious, you know. They're just being ridiculous. As soon as I started, like, as an adult reading Ed Anger's column, it's just like, oh, my God, this is, like, just brilliant writing. And it turns out that they were all real, like, writers for regular papers who were just, like, having fun by writing Weekly World News stories. Right. And that's what I have a feeling this is. So I have a feeling it will be just an awesomely fun thing to read with its ridiculous, with its, you know, the, the, the incredibly bad predictions presented as this is how it's going to be. You almost can't beat that. That's why we, that's why we remember a doy from right. t- well, 30 years ago. I, I'm, I have no doubt that they were having a blast writing that crap, but at the same rate, I mean, come on, don't, don't treat him like, you know, don't make a, a, a saint out of a sinner. These guys were doing that for the pure, you to know, make money. The the point was to to bilk 
you know, yes. innocent, naive yes. children out yes. of their money. And they and that you stuff know. gains appeal after 25 or 30 <laughs> right. years. Yeah, when not a true. kid who's gotten your, your half your allowance swept away by it, then you're pissed. Right. Now it's just like, oh, my God, this is, you know, it's charming and it's and it's amusing and, you know, in its ridiculousness. So it's, yeah, so I, I can see why people would get it because there's probably a lot of people who are just like, I, there's probably a lot of people who want to jam it in other people's faces and go, see, I told you, a doy right there. Yep. See, now I mean, am I crazy? Now am I crazy? And they're like, no, <laughs> you're not crazy. And then they take him back to his room and give him his sedative. And- <laughs> see, I'd be the last one to ever, you know, try to bullshit anybody that I wasn't an extremely gullible and naive child. I, I mean, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but it was the truth that, you but know, not I, that I was easily suckered. But come on, I saw that crap and was just yeah, like, not even that. no way, you know, no way. Only if it was the lamest movie in the world. <laughs> but, you know, in a way, it almost seems like trolling, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like telling your little sister who's a big Twilight Fitz fan that it's just like, oh, I did. I read the new Twilight book and they all get eaten, you know? <laughs> the space creature shows up and it eats. First, it, 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 the girl, Bella? Yeah, is that her name, Bella? Yeah, I guess... He he eats her head immediately in the first like five pages. No, I'm thinking that you know we're we're living in exciting times with this sort of thing because I'm thinking that pretty shortly you would expect that the scanners are going to run out of comics to scan. That that pretty much all the back issue stuff is is going to be done. Well, I'm, I'm glad the scanners are doing comics now instead of making people's head explode. That's all I'm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know eventually i'm really looking forward to the day where you know they they've run out of comics so then they move on to stuff like that uh star blasters to where you can go on the you know the torrents or whatever and you can find you know the entire run of star blasters to to download and look at again or something you know what i'm talking about because yeah. at, at this i mean they may be out there now but at this time i mean i i'm not seeing any how many know, people do you think would be seeding that you know right <laughs> but i mean i i think eventually that's going to happen the same way where there are little pockets of the internet where you can go and and you know have little fan communities yes. and we all share you know, files around for, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and you'll get a little of... group of people and they'll start talking about star blaster. And then right. all of a sudden some guy will show up and go, I'm going to every star blaster. Yeah. And, and then, you know, yeah. yeah, because we do that now, you know, you, you get your little, you know, community of friends together and go, gee, you know, and we all talk like that. We all talk like beaker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, well I you know I I'd love to have it and I, I want to read it and everything, but see the problem would be, is I wouldn't be able to stop at one, you know. So I'd get one and I'd be oh my god this I got to read the right you know if this one's this horrible then I got to read its predictions for, you know Star Trek three and all these other movies. So oh that, yeah, there's Indiana Jones three. one. I saw E. T. ones. Yeah, just about as Star Trek ones. Just about everybody gets the treatment of like what's coming in the next Star Trek movie. Read this okay. issue and find out. It's like yeah, I definitely want to read what's. I want to read about um, Mr. Cops. You know. The, the the evil brother of of Mr. Spock. <laughs> yeah. So knowing, 
that they're both expensive to buy yet completely worthless in value and content, then that just makes me want to read it digitally that much more, you know? They're, they're, well, I mean, I mean, they have a value if they're selling for $20, and they have a value that'll, that'll go up. So you could at least justify it by, like, if I have a complete copy of Star Blaster, you know, as long as we're not in, you know, Mad Max Apocalypse World in five years... That they'll they'll appreciate in value, and if it's like, all right, you know, the mortgage is due, we could sell the Star Blasters, and I'm not going to shed too much of a tear, because I at least got to read them and stuff, you know. <laughs> so you could write them off. I mean, and and hey, man, don't don't write off entertainment and something terrible. Is if if it entertains you to read the terrible that terrible shit, which it does, which I read. I mean, I have the Media Masochist show, which. I actually have a new media masochist brewing. I saw really horrible, two really horrible movies lately. <laughs> one was good. One was uh, Battlefield Earth, which was going to be the Scientology version of Star Wars, and uh, starring <laughs> um, John Travolta. But yeah, um, <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, if if you get enjoyment from from reading that horrible thing, and it takes on a a different meaning beyond just the crap that it was that you know the quick rip buck that it was meant to be then hey you know those old the old 50s magazines that were that were like that that were just you know trash and those you know that trash they're still trash but they're this charming you know trash from a uh earlier day and they have a style to them you know Right, and even in the ineptness of it, there's a style in that and stuff, which makes them really appealing. And I think that's exactly what this magazine is. As I used to scorn as a kid, those off, you know, Charlton comics and the, you know, and was more like, yeah, hey, if I want to read about what's going to happen in the next Star Wars movie, I'm going to get Starlog or Famous Monsters or something like that right. that has that's a little higher quality and. Blah blah blah, but now I'm sort of more fascinated with the off-brand stuff, the 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 stuff that you know some shady publisher put up and you know went into like three little markets in the country and would just to make a quick profit at the at the newsstand because there was a hot movie out that they knew they would sell it just by putting its name on the cover, you know? Right. I I kind of like that stuff. It's like knockoff toys and stuff like that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there was some talk about um, maybe doing a Star Wars Monthly Monday or a special based on knockoff uh, knockoffs of Star Wars ripoffs and knockoff toys and things that were just direct. You know, I'd be down for that. Yeah, I'd what be a down list. for it. There'd be a lot, large yeah. list to work from. Because just about every shit movie that came out, you know, just merely to make a buck off the success of the original Star Wars, I think I saw pretty much all of them. So yeah, that yeah. could be that could be you know, and and it's funny too because you know they were of varying degrees. Most of them were pretty terrible, but there were a couple of gems that came out of it. Like I always yeah. had a fondness for uh, for Ice Pirates. I always thought that was actually a pretty funny movie. So yeah, I, I'd be down for doing a show like that. Absolutely. Maybe I'll have to check out Ice Pirates again. 
I don't. Yeah, know. I have. God, I haven't seen that movie in probably at, at least twenty years. At, at the very least, twenty years. It's been a long time, but yeah, that movie's a trip. Well, what do you say we take a little break and we come back with uh, the next chapter of Indiana Jones? Sounds good to me. <laughs> Doctor Jones. <laughs> No time for Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. Holy nightmare. So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants, bad, holy insert object gear jokes, kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat. I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. every episode of the classic original TV series in randomly selected order on the second Monday of every month at 2 
Speaking of Geek is a podcast for the geek and everyone. Please join your host, Peregrine and D-Man, each week as they discuss all the things that geek guys love to talk about from the sci-fi, fantasy, and comic genres. For movies, TVs, comics, novels, and games, seek out Definitive Geek. Available on iTunes or at DefinitiveGeek.Podomatic.com. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Alright, we are back. It is Star Wars Monthly Monday number 45, but we're setting the Star Wars aside for a moment, and we're going into the world of Indiana Jones. And this month, it's uh, Marvel Comics Further Adventures of Indiana Jones number 5. A 60 Center. And I'm assuming, although I can't find any names or credits for it, and I was too lazy to try to look it up, that it's a Ron Friends cover because it, it hmm. basically looks like the Ron Friends um who is it uh Danny uh Bullandini Bullanati Bullanati is the inker inside and it sort of looks like that team yeah you're right I'm sort of just assuming that that's what it is since they're doing the art inside and it looks so similar so that's how I'm calling the cover art. Um, anybody else who's just that much more, you know, um, ambitious <laughs> can go look it up on the internet. I'll tell you what, you do your synopsis, sir, and I will uh, do my research here. Let's we'll see if we can figure out who did this cover. Who the hell did this cover? <laughs> now, this is from May 1983, and uh, Dave Michelini plot, as I said before, Ryan Friends pencils and it's a uh, i've got bullen bullandini written down what is it yeah bullen <laughs> no bullanati yeah Bulanati. like you said like scott said bullanati uh doing the inks uh joe Ryzen letters bob sharon colors louise jones editor and of course jim shooter editor-in-chief if you remember our heroes indy and uh karen were fleeing from nazis of course in a stolen Rolls-Royce uh, when the car crashes and is hanging by the bumper from the London Bridge. As the bumper gives way, uh, Jones, of course, hooks the guardrail with his whip and uh, he and Karen climb up only to be met with a Nazi Luger. And uh, Jones, um, instead of uh, bargaining with the Nazi, undoes the whip and drops. And uh, that way the Nazis won't get the artifact that he has uh, been protecting, the Stonehenge art- art- artifact. Um, luckily, uh, Garbage Scow is just happening, as, as is often the, the trope in these stories. There's a handy Garbage Scow passing underneath, and, uh, and they escape, although they stink like garbage. So they go to Karen's mother's house and uh, to clean up and to... Uh, make their plans to head to Stonehenge, but 
Luckily for the Nazis, they decided to bug the houses, and this is even their words, you know, of almost anybody tangentially uh, um, associated with uh, Karen. So they, they, of course, they have the standard um, bug in the flower pot at her house, so they hear of their plans. So, of course, on the train to Stonehenge, uh, Karen and Indy are met with Smitty, who, uh, if you remember, is the pilot who almost killed Jones last issue by crashing the plane and abandoning ship. He wants the crystal relic, too, but uh, after a struggle, Jones escapes to the roof of the train, of course, and when Smitty follows, he is killed Roadrunner and Coyote style by a tunnel. (laughs) And uh, further down the line, the train's stopped by Nazis disguised as uh, British Bobbies. Jones knocks one of them out and uh, steals their motorcycle and with a nice old Nazi motorcycle with a sidecar and uh, they get chased but they evade capture using the good old uh, rope bridge trick again Um, unfortunately the bike's gas tank has been nicked during their uh, chase and runs out of gas so they have to abandon it and, uh, and go about their trip to Stonehenge on foot and soon fall into the old familiar quicksand trap so the nazis show up and uh and of course they uh they get the crystal from jones and uh in a, in a classic style of raiders of the lost ark instead of being thanks for the um thanks for the crystal uh we'll give you a handout they cut his whip so he has nothing to pull them out but karen somehow which she hasn't used yet but pulls out a, a convenient gun to shoot down a tree limb to get them out which She's had about eight thousand opportunities to use that gun. Anyway, they go to they they go to Stonehenge where they they sort of find the ceremony already in progress, and uh, you know they know that the ceremony's working because the air is just swirling with interdimensional monster face things. Jones gets closer because he's starting to get the scientist in him wants to know what's up and maybe see if uh, these interdimensional creatures might be friends or might have information that we need, you know, that he's he's getting very curious, but then he realizes no, this doesn't look like it's a really good thing, and it's probably better, whatever it is, not to have the Nazis in control of it. So he ends up sneaking up and uh, smashing the crystal before the whole thing can be finished, and closes the portal, and uh, Sort of gets a drop on the Nazis, and uh, I don't know how in those days. And these days, you know, it's like okay, they got on their cell phone and called the cops, but they got the Nazi, or the cavalry on the way, and a bunch of bobbies show up to cart off the Nazis, and the world is safe again, etc., etc., etc. And you're assuming Indiana Jones is probably going to get a little bit of English tail. <laughs> Good catch and, on the uh, the thing with the bobbies, by the way, because I had the same exact note. Because the the book said the the caption says, uh, "Where is it here?" And sometime later, after the authorities have been summoned, I said, <laughs> whoa, 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 "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! How exactly?" Yeah, did he did, did he have one of those like Hooter shells where he went, whoa, whoa, and the, <laughs> the bobbies came there? Well, on that the calls nowhere. Ewoks, not bobbies. <laughs> All right, you're right, you're right. I'm still in the circle. You know, but this one's just good old-fashioned fun. It's one it's one stereotypical pratfall after another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Indiana Jones. It's got, you got quicksand. As a matter of fact, I thought, this is really cool. 
But at the same time, it's kind of using up a lot of tropes that they could have <laughs> used in further ep- episodes. It's like, oh, okay, we already got quicksand, See, which I... we get finally in the la- in the Crystal Skull was the first right. quicksand of in the movies. See, I think David Michelini did a fantastic job in this because he really captures that Raiders style of one yes, keep it moving, keep it moving. Yep, one thing after another. But I can't help but wonder if maybe, you know, because I'm trying to remember where he finally leaves the series. But I, I'm wondering, was it one of these things where eventually he just used himself up? You know, where it's like, okay, you know, I've used every conceivable cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, is there, is there anything left, you know? When but, you use 15 of them in an issue, yeah. Right. This one is very reminiscent of the... the um, more so than the last one with the art, there's a lot of John Byrne in the art in this one. Yeah, or, uh, in the of the first two episodes, right down to um, um, Karen, the 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 British girl who's his love interest in this one. It's uh, it's got a very. It's I like it. This this is uh, I don't remember this from the original run of it, but this is a re- this is like, I think my favorite issue since the john byrne run yeah i was just gonna say the same thing this is my favorite post burn issue so far by a long shot yes it's got a lot of the touches of the movies like where they go to her mother you know the the fact that they go to the mother's house to recover from you know their their narrow escape they go to aunt may aunt British Aunt May, which has got to be even more annoying. <laughs> just trying to make sure, just making sure Andrew Leyland's listening. Um, and uh, and when he and when he cut, and I like the fact that the Nazis are listening. In it's it's very Raiders like, where you know, okay, they're safe, they're recovering. You get to catch your breath, but it's setting it right up for the next trouble. It's like, oh, the Nazis are listening, but the Nazis are listening. You could see, you could see Spielberg take the shot where they're talking, and the camera goes down to the, the you know, right, yeah, the, the flower pot, and then it and, and and then it dissolves away or does a, you know, a, a sort of split screen of the Nazis listening in. It probably wouldn't have the dialogue like it does in the comic, the exposition, but it would just it would cut to a guy like listening with headphones with headphones. Well, I tell you, but, uh, Michelin- I like that he comes out in a girl's bathrobe too, and he's just like, uh, <laughs> and that's that's a very uh, that's a touch right out. out. It's a touch right out of the movie, you know, of just like putting him in this goofy situation, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, Michelini. You got to give the guy credit because not only did he fashion a fantastic story, really kept the uh, the pace going well here. He completely bamboozled me in this issue because I was convinced from the very get go in, in the prior issue that um, what is her name, Karen, the love interest in this one, the British girl. I yes, was convinced. I- that she, she was like a double agent. Exactly. That she was, I was too. Nazis. And, and when she pulled out that gun, because I suspected her from the very first scene in the last issue that showed the Nazis listening into every word that they were saying when they were working together. I suspected her then that they were able to listen because she had planted the bug. And then when she pulled out the pistol 
in the part where they're stuck in the quicksand, I was like, that's it. And because even when uh, Indy comments on the fact, that, what the hell? You had a gun this whole time and you didn't tell me? And I'm thinking she was saving it to plug him later. And, right. You know, plug that's the end. Yeah. And it turned out not to be the case. And I was really surprised by that. The only thing I, I can think of is I'm wondering if they're thinking it's maybe it's still too close to uh, the burn story because that's how that story re- resolved. Right. But it was Edith, had, was she was the bad guy all along because she had killed her brother and set the whole story into motion. So I don't know. But he did. He completely fooled me because I really thought I had it figured out. That I thought. I thought the same thing. I was like, I sort of remember this. You know, okay, okay. that she's she's gonna turn on him at some point. But nope. Turns out I didn't remember it at all. Good call on the cover, by the way. Uh, that is actually Friends and uh, Bolinati. See, I saw the Bolinati in there, but I disagreed with you on the Friends. I'm like, I don't see Ron Friends in there. But no, you're right. It, according to uh, Mike's Amazing World, that is who uh, the art team is. And you know, it never really occurred to me. It looks just, consistent yeah. with what's inside. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And... Uh, it suddenly, hit me, you know, every time I've ever looked at this issue, I've tried to figure out what the hell I thought those interdimensional creatures look like, and it finally struck me that picture—what page? Ah, damn it! There's no page numbers here. All right, it's where Indy and Karen show up at Stonehenge for the first time, and there's that panel, or excuse me, the page rather. It's only three panels. One of them is Hopman, the Hopman holding up the crystal. And then it's Indy and Karen, a close-up of their eyes. And then the next one is the creature swirling around over top of Stonehenge. That pink-faced creature looks like one of the gremlins. And thats I think that's what I've always thought they've looked yes. like. Yes. The gremlins from, from that movie Gremlins. But that's just weird. Um, Indy's not wearing his hat on the cover. And I'm thinking... You know, you got to get your trademark images in there. You know, you got to sell these books. But they do have it in big, bold letters featuring the hero of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I think is funny that they have to tell people who Indiana Jones is still at this point. Um, I love the recap. You know, rather than do a flashback, rather than do a a lot of, you know, jumping through hoops, basically Indy comes out of the shower and in some really clever dialogue... They recap and bring you up on the entire story without making it feel like just an exposition dump, and I really liked that. I thought that was a nice bit of writing right there because it well, feels he, like he a gets conversation. He gets Indy's dialogue right, really right in this. It's got it's got the real feel of Harrison Ford's delivery and the and the kind of dialogue that Indiana Jones would have. There's a little, you know, I mean, exposition-wise, it's got that comic book where he's sort of narrating what he's doing while he's doing it or commenting on it. But when he's having dialogue with another character, it it captures just enough of the smart ass and, right. and or or the serious, you know, scientist side when it's at that. Um, my favorite moment in this, though, Indiana Jones moment that's like the most, like I could see it in a movie, is where he's got his hands up there in the train, and he's like, but not if I pull the brake. Ah, right. The brake cable cuts, and the guy's like, yeah, but not if I cut the brake cable. And then he just bounces it off his head. And he's just like, oh, well, fuck it then. Boom. 
I like the next panel where he's kicking the shit out of him. I mean, that's like, it's like a karate chop type of thing. But it's also very Indiana Jones because we saw this right in the very first movie that Indy's not afraid to fight dirty. No, no, whatever it takes to win, to, to, to remedy the situation, he doesn't care if it's fair or not. Yep. He just cares that he comes out on top. Yep. That's what made that's what made the initial Raiders of the Lost Ark so great is he yeah, he'll let the guy get hit in the back with the propeller, you know, or, right. or just or just shoot the swordsman, you know. Yeah. Short of it is is otherwise he would have been dead or he wouldn't be able to reach his goal. He's very pragmatic. The train scene's definitely my favorite moment of, of the whole story for, for so many different reasons because I, I like it start to finish because at the beginning of it, it, uh, it really feels like Indiana Jones to me because we would see this later on in Last Crusade where Indy's in his full costume except for his hat, but he's wearing his glasses. And mm-hmm. same thing here. You know, he's got his, you know, his, his, trademark outfit on but he's not wearing his hat but he is wearing his glasses as he sits here and has tea with karen and there's just something about the way the scene is drawn i really really like it i think uh the art team did a fantastic job of really capturing um harrison ford as there's a couple wonky ones but for the most part no that like the scene that i said where he pulls the emergency brake it's got the first one, it's got him cocky Harrison Ford with, like, where he's talking to the guy, and he's just about to pull his trick. And then when his trick fails, he's got that look on his face of, like, oh, shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not so fast, Indy. And then, the, you know, and then the next shot, he's bouncing it off his head. That uh, You know, like I, we were saying in the Cynthia Martin stuff, just, you know, a lot of stuff just portrayed in, in facial expressions and stuff. Yeah, I like it. I just realized that when when Indy goes out the window and he runs along the top of the train, he doesn't have his hat on. But then when he drops in on Karen later after uh, after Smitty has uh, gotten smeared across the face of that mountain, he's got his hat in his hand. It's like, where the hell did he get his hat from? Surely he did not climb back in the window, get his hat, and climb back out the window onto the top of the train to drop down beside her. No, he did that's not do that. Important to him. <laughs> what? That's pretty important to him, man. I don't know. <laughs> well, why wouldn't he just go in the window and <laughs> yeah. walking out the door? And walk out the door, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to be dramatic. You know, he's he's working on this lady. We get a motorcycle and sidecar getaway years before Last Crusade. I think. Oh, but uh, once again, a rope bridge again, you know, yeah. before... Temple of Doom. You've got a and on that page in the beginning of the motorcycle chase, you've got the Wayne's World bullet that says "swing" as it goes by. Swing. <laughs> There's a lot of swings, but I like the swing. That swing. Now you know, I'm no expert, but I'll play one on a podcast. Um, this thing with the fuel tank getting winged. The same thing happens in the Rocketeer movie. Um, I'm pretty sure that in real life you just get blowed up real good. I don't think. No, actually, sh- that's a that's a myth. I saw the MythBusters on that one. Really? 
yeah, most of the time there isn't there isn't enough there isn't enough space for gas in a in a gas tank to make any kind of explosion. If it did, it would just be a sh- most likely a short little sort of puff of like boom of flame. But yeah. Really? They, they had a hell of a time. They were trying to shoot a car and blow up the gas tank. They had a hell of a time doing it. Huh. As a matter of fact, they were pretty much unable to do it because gasoline is not, it, amazingly enough, is not as flammable as it's sort of pictured in the movies as where, like, you know, you can drop a match into a puddle of gasoline and it'll go out. It's the gas that blows up. Right. So when you shoot a gas tank... If you like shoot something that blows up the whole car into into the air and spreads the gas, you know, mists the gas in the air and then makes a spark, yeah, then kaboom. But putting a like a bullet going into a gas tank and making a spark, very unlikely to make it explode. Huh? Yeah, it's a it's a myth. It's an old wives' tale. Although I don't know why old wives are talking about exploding gas tanks, but old wives love Indiana Jones, <laughs> and he loves them. I like where uh, Andy comments, you know, before he uh, he drives across the bridge, that he's glad his mom's not here to see him do this. And uh, I'm not sure exactly when and where, but it would be established later on that uh, that Indy's mom had died when he was young. So. I thought I'll that fit there, very nicely. I'll bet you there was some bit of biographical information to that effect, like in maybe one of the novelizations or something. Yeah, could be. You know, so that's why it showed up. In, but I don't know. Th- these get a lot of uh, stuff ahead of um, the movies that are to come. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun to see that, that happen. There may have been a bit of collaboration at this point, you know. I, I, I honestly, I don't know the the well. You're dealing, story. you know, when when you're dealing with this sort of stuff, there's gonna be a lot of, you know, there's there's a only so many gags, you know. There's right. only so many things you could drive a car over, and and exotic places. You have to go to an exotic place that has some sort of. Um, archaeological history to it so you know i mean stonehenge is a definite you know it's got indiana jones written all over it you know so far i'm sure between books and comics you know indiana jones has been to the pyramids to the sphinx to the you know to the mayan temples you know every everything you can think of you know now is this the first quicksand that we're seeing I think Indian so. I think so too. It's certainly not the Until last, but skull. yeah. Unless there's some more in the comics, I'm sure there's some more in yeah, some I'm of the. Sure. Um, I really enjoyed the hell out of this story. I thought it was very good. I liked that it was very Raiders like, without being too much like Raiders, if you know what I mean. Because I mean, yeah. the end of the story. Oh, yeah. I mean, it uh, mirrors Raiders all along the way, sort of, you know, overlapping adventures um, with Indy alternately being on top and and then being, you know, crushed again and on top and crushed down to the end where a metaphysical, you know, summoning is happening in an ancient grounds and ends up foiling Nazis. (laughs) Yeah. 
you know, it's very, and, and it's uh, sort of, the weird thing about it is I'm like Karen, and I'm like, oh, that's right, it was Karen Allen Karen in the Allen, first movie, yeah. so that's why her name seemed so, I'm like, didn't, hasn't there already been a Karen in Indiana Jones? And it's like, yeah, but not by that name, just the actress's name was. Right. So it's, there's a very, you know, at least, at least he didn't say, you know, don't look at him or <laughs> right. Keep your mouth shut. Um, but as much as I enjoyed it, I did have one nitpick. It's a minor one, but I thought it was funny. Is uh, ah, damn it, there was these not numbered pages. But uh, if you go to the page where the demons are coming out of the Phantom Zone, they're over top of Stonehenge, uh-huh. and Indy's doing his whole. But I gotta know. I just gotta know that fourth panel down. Indy and Karen are standing in the in like the I don't know doorway I guess you'd call it of one of those uh, megalithic monolithic rocks, and there's a Nazi right there. Not what is this guy like six feet from them About with six, an automatic feet. weapon, opening it up. And it's, yeah, and it's no, it's only showing two streaks coming out of it, but the noise it's making is crack 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 crack. So it's like multiple shots. And this asshole can't hit them from like it's, seven feet and away. And Indy's sitting there with his back to him, looking the other way. And and then she takes him out with her purse. Right. Yeah. When when you look at it and you try to think of how that works out, it doesn't. You know. And no, you got like the not. picture, the church, the 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 church, the the purse straps are kind of exaggerated. You know, it's turned into some sort of superhero weapon or something. <laughs> Frock. I mean, this is one shitty Nazi right here. Yeah. They can't hit the broadside of Stonehenge. <laughs> and then he gets clocked. Well, when you have such a goofy assignment of like, well, maybe you can find this crystal and take over Stonehenge, although it's made the seem that it's very important. But then again, they might have just told him, we have a very important uh, assignment for you here, here, shithead. It's... Uh, it's to go to, to, you know, and they didn't expect him to actually summon demons. They just expected to keep him out of the hair till the war was over, you right. know, and give him a cushy job or something. So they're like, we're going to send our crack team of assassins with you to make sure that, you know, to carry out your mission. They send all the bumbling idiots who can't, sh- they don't come back. Well, they don't come back, you know, but... <laughs> And hey, you know, maybe they will find the the lizard people, you know, the gremlin people from another dimension, and uh, and Hitler will be in luck. But and and all the while he's shooting, he has the time to say, "All you, all you will know, Schwein, will be the quick, cold kiss of death." <laughs> <laughs> See? Yeah, well. There's nothing quick or cold about this kiss of death. <laughs> it's it's just neat because the whole end sequence seems like it's it's mirroring raiders, you know, with you know, they're at the temple and they, you know, they summon the other dimensional thing and they come out and it, you know, you're expecting it to be very raiders like and then Indy just shatters the crystal and they and it's over. That's it. <laughs> end of the story and the Nazis are so overcome by these monster things in the sky that they saw earlier that they're just like okay well take us off to jail now you know yeah yeah <laughs> and that's it lock us up in a nice safe jail 
But I liked it. I, I did. I really enjoyed this story. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was very, uh, very Indiana Jones like. It's what so. I. This is what I would. This is what I would like. Consist this quality. Whereas you know, I mean, come on, you can't expect. It's a, a monthly comic. You know, as as you know, just making a monthly podcast, which is a lot less work than making a monthly comic, means you you have to make certain. In order to get it out on time, right? There's only you, you. You know, you can't make anything. You know, maybe once in a while you get a story that stands up with like an indie film, and this is derivative of an indie film. But all the d- indie stories are derivative of Raiders of the Lost Ark anyway, too. You know, the other right. movies. So, it, it, it for this kind of story for a you know serial adventure story. You can get away with you. You can go. Oh, this is just another rehash of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was a rehash of every other serial in the world. You know, so right. If every Indiana Jones qu- comic was at this quality, I would be really happy. It would have made me really happy. This is <laughs> this is. I like it. It doesn't get boring for a second, and it looks pretty decent. I I I, th- I seem to remember in the future. We might get this level of story, but the artwork varies wildly. Right. Uh, wildly, usually uh, on like ho- how ho- what extreme of horrible it is. Because <laughs> uh, I'm like, because here at number five, like I don't know, maybe my memories of this are very exaggerated, but I, I was when I was reading this, I was like, all right, I seem to remember that this comic went south fast. And, well, we're only in number five anyway, so maybe it is fast. But it's. St- but when I thought fast, I thought as soon as John Byrne was gone. Right. Yeah. But there's been a couple. There's been a couple. You know, most of the. There hasn't been one of the really like, horrid ones that I remember, and maybe it's maybe my. Tastes have changed. See, I'm and, hoping that's going to be the case because I've done some flipping ahead. And, and you haven't seen anything that's like offensive. <laughs> oh, I, I have, but it's much farther <laughs> down the line because see, I had these the same exact memory that it went south real, real fast, pretty much right after Burn left, and that you know the 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 art um, was just never of a of a good quality, and that the stories were just stupid. And you know, as we're seeing here, that's that's not the case. This is actually a really good story, but it's funny. The only one. I could remember beyond the John Byrne one was uh, was the one uh, I think it's called the Fourth Nail. That was the only one I could remember, and it's weird because my memories of that one is the way that story resolves is pretty much the same ending as Raiders. You know, whatever the the big mystical thing that everybody's kind of scoffing at like, through the story was kills this a nail, everybody. Like one of the nails from the cross. From the cross, yeah. Jesus, yeah. yeah. Okay. I I remember that one too. Now that you now that you mention it, and yeah, and it's it is it's another it's another like, you know, biblical biblical story. It's a story coming out of the Bible, whereas, you know, but I mean that's what Indiana Jones is about. Where can you find something that's based in a historical area, and put him in? But yeah, yeah, that's very similar to the Ark of the Covenant. You know, yeah. Whereas this, they're gonna go. Okay, we'll do Stonehenge, which is Celtic, sort of thing. But it's the same sort of thing—a religious 
mystical site. Yep. Well, what do you think? I think we uh, did some epic coverage there. Do you want to call it a night? Yeah. Let's quit while we're ahead. <laughs> well, I enjoyed that. I Like I say, I was looking forward to uh, to these uh, issues of Star Wars very much, and uh, this was a solid I- issue of Indiana Jones, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next time around, we got uh, two more issues of uh, Marvel Star Wars and the next chapter of Indy that I can't remember where the hell we're going from here. I honestly I have no don't. no idea, yeah. Yeah, there's no uh, next issue tease at the end of this one, so we're left with nothing. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could very well be. That seemed typical of Marvel at this time period sometimes, so. Yep. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you actually next week. Join us for Star Trek Monthly Monday as we're going to take a look at the, uh, in the classic Star Trek, we're going to take a look at the Tholian Web, a good classic episode, one of the best, actually. And uh, in the next-gen segments, we're going to be taking a look. We're going to meet Riker's dad. Daddy. (laughs) And Data's pen pal. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
She likes Scott. Let's put it. Let's. let's... Well, he's so lovable. Come on. Hey, though. Come on. Let's be real. <laughs> lovable. The lovable curmudgeon. Hey, Blake is online. I wonder if he's available. I don't. His uh, partner in crime was on too, so I figured. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, I figured they were probably podcasting. That's why I saw both up. They're probably doing the same thing. Who is moving first? Half the world is doing the same thing, right? I swear to God. I'm sorry. Okay, hold on. I'll put it on mute. You know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, some of us some of us have weird hours at work. Some of us can't at the drop of a hat just quit work and come and podcast about you know Mickey Mouse buying out Lucasville. So mute. There I go. <laughs> this is the most important news since since God talked to Moses. Yes, that's what I said. I'm telling you, dude, if I didn't have a brand new television, I would have thrown something through it tonight because the evening celebration is so bad tonight. Because the local news, where Disney is, gave it 15 seconds and repeated the same erroneous news story I've read a million times online. And then talked about that stupid storm and never talked about the Disney. I'm thinking this is the biggest thing of like ever. And you're not talking about it? I'm like, what are you nuts? So, yeah. And then, and then you became John Luke Gardner. Yeah, uh, <laughs> seven movies. Seven. seven. <laughs> he, Scott's actually sitting in a black room, naked right now as he records this. <laughs> he, he's got the robe on. He's <laughs> got David Warner quickly. The gods are coming. Yeah. Tell me how many movies are there? <laughs> you guys are probably closer to reality than you even know. <laughs> I am a man on the edge, I swear to God. <laughs> All right, are we ready for this? Yes. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. All right, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, and I don't know how you see him on your side, but the one that says too old to grow up, that's our buddy Ken Morgan. Ken Morgan. Okay. Right. I'm not sure how you're seeing it on your side. I'm right. on top of it, man. <clears throat> Let me take a drink. We'll get into this. <laughs> Everybody get hey, in everything that they wanted to uh, discuss? Well, the one thing okay. I want to add is a minor correction from the top of the show is I actually am formerly of the podcast Tool to Grow Up. We haven't published that in a while, but I am currently with the Legion of Dudes podcast yes. um, over at the HHWLOD network at HHWLOD.com. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> Throw that plug in there. They do a good show. Yes, you gotta, they, you yes, gotta they do. change your you gotta change your picture, man. I'm yeah, I know. I just never bothered updating my Skype account. <laughs> I just figured that was what you were excited about. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that was a great show. I love that show. We just haven't done it in two years. <laughs> has it been that long already? Uh, you know, yeah, uh, it, it has been two years. Oh my god. Well, what what happened? Because I used to love listening to that show. Did yeah, uh, me too. Did, did you guys I, uh, just uh, a couple happened? Mainly, we had some initially. We just had a couple things going on in our lives. Couldn't get recording, and then at some point, I realized I actually enjoyed not having to edit the show every single week and being up till God knows. <laughs> I actually found I liked that. And um, how do you get that back. gig? You found like time to spend with your loved ones and stuff like that. It's amazing. Yeah, right. I have a family. <laughs> uh, the loved ones will fade away. Podcasts are forever. 
So there we go. Now, am I wrong in thinking that I've never been on the Legion of Dudes podcast? I'm trying to remember. I've been on at least once. We actually did a Star Wars episode that you came on with. Uh, You weren't part of the interview, but we did cut inside there an interview with uh, uh, John Jackson Miller about the end of uh, KOTOR, the comic. That's right. That's right. Were we talking EU, or do we have a more specific topic? I can't remember. I think we were talking EU. I because I know when when you were on ours, it was we did um, the episode three novel because I just listened to that not long ago, and I was like, "Damn, we need to get, have Ken on again after that." And then I think we we got together one other time for what was it, Dark Empire? I think we may may maybe I know we were talking a little bit about because uh, Old Republic number fifty was coming up soon. Um. And, but I thought there was a specific thing we're talking about, but it may have just been EU in general. Uh, yeah, it was just Star Wars comic talk, actually. We're just talking about comics in general. Uh, Legion of Dudes episode 76, which you can find over at HWLD.com. <laughs> uh, sit down with the dudes as we talk with John Jackson Miller, writer of Star Wars Muscle Republic, as we near its final issue. Then relax as Scott Gardner of the Two True Freaks podcast joins us for a roundtable discussion of all things Star Wars. Awesome. So there you go. I'll have to listen to that. I love that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I got to go. I got to do some. Uh, I got to try to take a test on some uh, some uh, stuff for work. So, and then I got to hit, hit the bed. So, is that a euphemism? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's you gotta a go, euphemism? You got to go cram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, cram it in there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fellas, I'll talk to you later. Take it easy, Bill. Bye. Bye. Around, Bill. Bye. Bye. You added that shit out too. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I stopped recording. Didn't mean that in a racist way at all. I'm... I I thought I was going to say you should elect for. Uh, I said it because you had a humongous penis, but no, you, you have, thank you. Jeez, <laughs> what have we? Oh, you can't give him crap get about being racist. I was the one at Star Wars Celebration that saw the one black guy there and turned around and told everybody, "Hey, somebody came as Lando." So. <laughs> oh. Uh, now, kind of be fair, there were two black guys there. Yeah. Oh, there was another one. There's that always there, no. There is another. <laughs> See, I can dress up as the as the ice you know save the ice cream maker guy, even though he's black. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Could you imagine like doing that? Like getting in trouble for having blackface to be the save the ice cream maker guy. <laughs> I was at a par- I was at a the same party that Hair Metal Heroes Double came in to. This other guy came in with a bumblebee outfit, but he had his face and hair painted completely black. But he came in and I'm like, that is the blackest black guy I've ever seen. <laughs> like he like I've seen some pretty black black guys, but like this guy's like coal mine or something? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, exactly. Jet black. And then as it got closer, I could as he got closer, I could see his hands and like his wrists were white, and I'm like, oh my god, that's a guy who just spray painted his whole head black. Jeez. <laughs> oh, the only yeah. other the, the guy there, the only the only black guy there was dressed as I don't know if he meant to, but he was in this like wi- he was in drag as a witch, but he looked like Pebbles from um, 
the Flintstones. Oh, and he wore these, and he was obviously not someone who was used to dressing in drag, and he wore these insane heels, and he was obviously, like, gonna fall down at any second. It was <laughs> hilarious. Ken, you're, you're good at obscure uh, Star Wars characters. What is that dude's name, the, uh, the Save the Ice Cream Maker guy? He has a name? Yes, he, he has an action oh, figure. Yeah. I want the I, I know he has an action figure, but... Say, I actually don't know this one. Save the ice cream maker guy. In, I'm looking this shit up right now. In the now. Empire Strikes Back, in, yeah. right after Lando makes his announcement, you know, this is Lando Calrissian, get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> There's a dude that runs past the screen wearing an orange jumpsuit, and he's carrying an ice cream maker. And at Celebration, they had a conga line of people dressed <laughs> uh, this dude all right. carrying ice name. cream makers. And I want the action figure they put out for this dude. It's something like Willem or something. Willro Hood. Will Hood, <laughs> yep. <laughs> ice cream why maker guy. It, why isn't it like Ben and Jerry or something like that? You know, Baskin something. Robin. Yeah, oh Baskin Robin or something like that. Why not, you know? What is his name? Oh, you got it. Will. <laughs> I was just going to look this up. Yep. There is there is an action figure for this dude, and I want it for my collection. I've got to have one because it's the most ridiculous thing. Excuse me, because I can remember as a kid complaining that you know because we used to like not only act out new adventures, but we would try to reenact the movies with our figures, and there wasn't an, an Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen figure. But here today, you know, 30 years later, you've got the friggin' Save the Ice Cream Maker guy has an action figure. It's like, what the hell, you know? They've really mined the Star Wars saga for characters. Yeah. You know, with with uh, with uh, some uh, some lighter fluid, a match, and some chicken wings, you can probably get, you know, Amperu post... Uh... <laughs> because I- irony became more popular in the last decade or so, you know, so... So now people, you know, now now people now people will actually capitalize on gags about Star Wars, you know, rather than than just Star Wars or something that's like an in joke. They're probably just like there's so, so many. Well, w- with any Star Wars figure, you got to figure there's a bottom line of just people. There's so many people who are just going to buy it because they have to have all of them. So then you just have to factor in how many more are going to buy it because. It's hilarious to have ice cream maker guy. Now, if you and I'm scroll, one of them, I would, I would, I would be tempted to buy ice cream maker guy too. If you scroll all the way down in that thing, the one of the last things it says is appearances, and there's one. It says, you know, the Empire Strikes Back first appearance. Yet, first there's, appearance. if you printed this out, it's like ten pages of biography on this friggin' guy. It's there's okay. Of- where are they drawing this information from? From a dude that runs past the screen. That's ridiculous. Yeah, didn't they make it up that it was some guy who was trying to save, like, a computer core? Is. From he is often nicknamed Ice Cream Guy, Ice Cream Maker Guy, or Ice Cream Man, since the prop this actor holds looks similar to an ice cream maker. And there are footnoted references. The <laughs> What's the Story entry finally revealed that the unknown object was a computer's memory core, that was footnote number one, uh, which if I click on that takes me to his entry in the database, Holocron databank. Jesus Christ. Wait. <laughs> I thought I had too much time on my hands. Holy Actually, and that, that link is it says obsolete, and the backup is available on archive.org. 
I gotta have the figure of this friggin' guy. Ooh, <laughs> external links, Star Wars blogs, the story of Wilro Hood, or now you know what that big white thing is. <laughs> it sounds like fan fiction. <laughs> sounds, sounds like one of those films that you watch in grade school, you know, that they'd separate the boys and girls about. <laughs> yes, what's that big white thing? Wilro ch- Hood was just a simple man trying to make his way in the universe. He didn't want to be a hero, but fate begged to differ. See, he's going to probably turn out to be the most important person in the Star Wars universe at some When the air conditioning went off on Cloud City, he was the only one who could make ice cream after that and made his fortune and eventually bought Cloud City. I love the fact that this action figure has a punch. It's amazing. The (laughs) cheapest one on eBay, that I'm seeing anyway, has free shipping. It's a loose figure, and it's 13 bucks. Yeah, well, you can't figure they made a shitload of them, you know? (laughs) Or else they would be bins of them at comic shops, you know? I'm very disappointed. There's an external link for a quote called the the Unofficial Ice Cream Maker Guy website. (laughs) Unfortunately, it linked to a now obsolete Geocities website, so... I sent you a link to a 99-cent one. Oh, is there? All right, I yeah. look at that. It, it probably doesn't come with his accessory. I mean, you want the extra. Oh, yeah. You're gonna no, get it's him. got it all. Oh, oh, yeah? Okay. Gun? I don't know where the gun came from. Yeah, the package figure has a gun. Ooh, he is a pudgy bastard, ain't he? Yeah. It was all the ice cream, man. <laughs> that must be some good ice exactly. cream. It's space ice cream. It's the best. Hello, what have we here? It's whipped with Tabana gas. It's amazing. Shipping, 520. Oh, Jesus. For a loose action figure. Oh, oh, no, wait, wait. Build a droid part not included. Screw that. (laughs) Who cares? You're getting the second black guy in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks exactly like Lando. He's a guy who... If you at first glance appears to be looting an ice cream maker, <coughs> what the hell, George Lucas, you truly belong here with us among the sprinkles. He looks like Billy. He basically looks like the head of Billy D. Williams with the hair of like Dracula or something. Lando challenge him on that thing. They're like get that Dracula head, paint it black, and give him a little mustache and uh, some caterpillar eyebrows and this hey. ice cream guy. Hello, what have we here? Oh, will this be my ice cream maker? Well, what do you do with this ice cream maker? That looks like my ice cream maker. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm so sure, sure I don't know what you are talking I was, about. I was just bringing it back to you. I am so glad I'm still recording. <laughs>